Hello, what's up, what's up? Welcome to The One Inch Barrier. I am your host, Juan Carlos Ohan, and I hope you're all staying safe and staying healthy. All right. So we're done with the 2021 retrospective where we talked, no, 2020 retrospective, where we talked about the films nominated alongside Denmark's Another Round. So we've already finished discussing, um, what's this? Better Days from Hong Kong, Collective from Romania, The Man Who Sold His Skin from Tunisia, and we just finished... Kovada Saida from Bosnia and Herzegovina. So I hope you check that out. Bonus episodes are on Patreon. The podcast regular episodes will cease to exist. Cease to exist. But the bonus episodes will continue. And I hope you continue to support my work. Um, we've reached. Last week we've finished talking about the very first quote unquote winner of this category. Italy's shoe shine. So just to bring things to a close. We are now going to discuss the latest most recent winner of this category. So for this episode, we are going to talk about the film that won Best International Feature Film at the 94th Academy Awards. That film is Drive My Car, or its original language. Duraibu uh, My Car, co-written and directed by Ryusuke Hamaguchi. So this was Japan's second win and 14th nomination. Not counting the honorary awards Japan has received before the existence of the competitive category. So for a quick summary of the film it is about um an actor who was widowed um by um was widowed by a woman who was cheating on her and him and then he becomes involved in a production of Uncle Vanya and he needed a dri- um he was given a driver to bring him to places because of a re- an earlier incident and then um he starts to do the preparations for the play, for the production of the play. And then he also encounters an actor that he intentionally chose for the apart. That's a quick summary of Drive My Car. Um, so our guest for this episode is from the United States. You've already heard him on the episode where we discussed Zed and the films of 1969 way back in the sixth season. He is from Next Best Picture. Please welcome Dan Bayer. Hi, Dan. Thank you so much for coming back to this place. Always a pleasure, Juan Carlos. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um. Thank you. Um. I. I've, I've always wanted you to. I always wanted to have you back since we did the episode in Zed. I was just like thinking of which one. And since you've seen a lot of the submissions, and I, I was, of course, I was following you and the award season. Like, you know what? He's seen a lot of submissions. I'm gonna have him on this episode. But yeah, I am so excited, so so excited to discuss this film this year. Um, one month after the Oscars, we're recording this episode. I think we've had enough of a distance to kind of cover the films as themselves, and not in in the context of them being contenders. But of course, we're going to go to that later. But before we continue, can you tell our listeners where can they find you on the internet? Of course, you can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. You can find my writing at nextbestpicture.com. And this was just announced uh, today when we were recording this, starting very soon. You can check me out as part of the official Awards Watch podcast team. Yay! Congratulations on that one. I did see it. Thank you. We are very, very excited about that. Yeah. So proud of you. 
Whoa. <laughs> um, all right. So drive my car. This having some distance with this award season. I was kind of watching from the sidelines on which films were kind of um, unveiling themselves as front runners and what which films were deemed as front runners kind of dropped. Drive My Car remains to be one of the, I think, top three most fascinating um, narratives of contenders this award season, just on how um, it unfolded. Um, but more on that later but let's just go back to the film first in itself um drive my car what did you think of drive my car i it's this is a really interesting one and i have gone on a bit of a journey with this film um because the first time i watched it i I, with most movies i try to keep myself as much as i can um in the dark I like to go in as blind as possible so that I, I want to know like the basics of the plot, but I don't want to know too many details because I just want to experience everything fresh. Um, and this one, I, you know, people were raving about it and talking about how wonderful it was. And that was all I heard. And that was all I needed to know to know I'm going to watch this movie. So I'm not going to spoil myself. And when I watched it, when I sat down to watch it, I, I did not realize that it was going to be so much about theater and I am a theater kid at heart for many, many years. And they, you know, they'd start off with a production of uncle Vanya and that of waiting for Gatto, which is one of my favorite plays. And then later they're working on a production of uncle Vanya, which is a play that I studied in college and I was so taken aback <laughs> that it was really a lot of it was about them staging this production of Uncle Vanya as much as it was him, you know, driving with uh, this uh, very quiet driver um, and them, you know, opening up to each other. So I made sure to go back after I went to and uh, dug out my college notes on Uncle Vanya. Because I was, I was like the, the the everything is so carefully done in this movie that they, he did not just pick Uncle Vanya out of a hat, right? Um, and I was after I read my notes on it, and I realized some things even when I was reading my notes on it, and then when I went back to watch the movie again, I, I was e- even doubly impressed by what Hamaguchi has done with this screenplay and the parallels that he was able to draw between these characters and the story of Uncle Vanya and even some of the uh, criticisms of Uncle Vanya as a, a play. And I, 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 I was even more impressed. I admit it is not a movie that I uh, wholeheartedly love or am excited by like i am some of the other films that were uh, in contention this this past year but it is one that i think is so beautifully made and so thoughtfully conceived and and acted and i it's a beautiful movie um i would say the same thing um 
not being predictable. But, you know, I I, I just watched it a few <laughs> nights ago. And unlike most of the films on this podcast, I intentionally did not write any notes when I was watching it. Because, I again, I did not know anything about the film. I just know it's one of the best films of 2021. And um, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know. Some of the stills don't make sense because I'm only seeing photos of it. So someone's driving and then there's theater and I'm like, okay, what is this film about? And I intentionally did not watch, did not take notes because I knew it was slow. <laughs> and I needed, for those kinds of films, I needed to, I needed the film to wash over me and just experience them as, as in the moment. And yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. very much the and, same uh, way. So maybe there's that, that's the gap in my um, way of watching this film, but in my experience of watching this film, you know, there are films where they kind of pretend to be about med- about meditation, about something, meditation and blank. This film kind of embodies that because it allows us as audience, because ultimately it has, it has the story to tell and it can tell the story in whichever way it can. And we would probably get, kind of the same thing but it allows the audience to really discover and be with the emotions without really dictating it it's a film of very internalized drama even in the kind of big dramatic moments it refuses to go to that direction um it it allows you to also think with the characters and i really appreciate a film that trusts the audience in communicating what it wants to say and also because the film is largely about communication you know i've been reading stuff about hints about it's about grief it's about guilt but for me it was what i picked up because ultimately like film criticism is much about the person watching it as it is about the film that you're being that you're watching it is really about communication and how the smallest of things could either kind of um, help in the communication or kind of block it. And it, it's it's just so beautiful because I think, you know, not knowing Uncle Vanya, I mean, who is Uncle Vanya? I mean, not <laughs> knowing anything about the play, I do sense this feeling of unison in what was happening. Um, the play, the patience in... Um, observing it's 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 very observant of human behavior um of course you had a theater background and um i don't what is it with this film and its depiction of theater that made it kind of essential um how do you feel that you know setting it in that place of being in theater kind of helped explore its larger themes so one of i i will say when people were asking me about this movie and like, should they watch it? Um, basically, because so many people still have problem getting over that one inch barrier of subtitles. Thank you. And you're welcome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Bang Jun Ho. Um, and I would always say, like, you you just have to get through the the opening scene. Because that is, I think, when the film is kind of at its most, if not exactly pretentious, then certainly at its most opaque. 
you know, mm-hmm. there have it or it, it is very, um, for lack of a better word, European. It is two beautiful okay. people having sex and telling a story that has absolutely nothing to do with the plot of the movie, uh, except it turns out it kind of does have quite a lot to do with the plot of the movie in a way. Um, but even from the beginning, what I especially noticed the second time through was like, this is a, a film about storytellers. Um, the our lead um, Yusuke is a he's an actor and a director which are two different kinds of storytellers and his wife is a writer and they work in different mediums obviously she works in television and he works in the theater but it's like you were saying how this movie is about communication and in a way my take on it is sort of like branching off from that and is this movie is about how we tell stories and I there was something really beautiful about so much of it taking place in a in a theater where they're doing a multilingual production of Uncle Vanya. Um, and you can tell that this is sort of a through line for him because in that first scene when the, he's doing um, the Beckett play, they also have the same uh, super titles in multiple different languages. Um, we can infer that this is sort of a through theme for him and his work he's not just doing it with this one piece and but i'm going to get a little choked up talking about it the decision to cast um a a deaf actress in one of the roles and to the the extra layer that that adds to how he as a director can tell this story um and particularly when he's dealing with the loss of his wife, who the only way he can hear her and hear her story is through a recording of the script of Uncle Vanya. So in a way, she can't speak. She cannot speak her own words to him and then to be working with an actress who cannot verbalize her things, but she is able to put across her meaning anyway through her gestures and face and god what a beautiful freaking performance um but i i just love all these different modes that he finds of people coming together and figuring out how to tell a story across all language barriers and I think that that's one of the reasons why it's especially beautiful that we're talking about it on this podcast, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but no, the, the, one of the things about Uncle Vanya the play, it is that it, it, it's so similar to what he's going for in the movie that it's more about atmosphere than any like one particular theme. Um, but all the characters are talking about how their life is wasted and what they could have done instead of thinking you know of actually trying to take action to make their lives better they just keep talking about how things are terrible and how unhappy they are um and that is what yusuke is living through the process of directing this mo- this play, through the process of telling the story, he is able to actually move forward with his life. 
I mean, that's that's the <laughs> essence of like why we tell stories, right? And yeah. why we why we watch plays and watch films is to learn something about our lives that we're not able to just living ourselves. Yeah, and I think sometimes there are people when they're not really comfortable with telling things directly, so they would rather tell a story about that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the films kind of I don't know if if it's indirectness, but it's it's uh it's priority on an atmosphere and an observation says a lot more about what wants to say on 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 the characters. I think it unveils so much about them. Um the the aspect of it being about theater and the overall performance, the concept of performance, performance of you know, um, performance and communication, performance of grief, per- or not ref- or refusing to do any performance at all is a performance in itself. Um, it it really it, it is a concept that when I was watching the film, it kind of makes me feel vulnerable because it exposes how um, how we deal with with different things. You know, the the, the drive. I forgot the name of the driver. The driver has a way of processing things. He. Um, Misaki, um, that's her name, Misaki. Masaki is a, has a different way of dealing with things. Like Yusuke has also a different way of dealing with things. And it's all a performance. Yeah. But um, the way the film was showing it, it's almost, of course, there is an intentionality on how the film was capturing it. But there's also a sense that it's being, it's not trying to... Um, get in the way of us just seeing these characters as them. And I think it's a more effective way of communication for us. And it kind of, it, it shows the, it shows the priority of, of Hamaguchi on how really, I don't know if I could use the word. It, it is very humanistic. Mm-hmm. Yes. On how you just, yeah. it, the loyalty isn't in the big drama, but it, it just wants to get human stories right. And that lack of um, that lack of noise, literally and figuratively, in telling the story, speaks more loudly because it 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 removes all the barriers and just it's 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 almost like you're in in your in in intimate connection with the film which is yes. also a bit of a, of, of a paradox because the film isn't giving away everything all, all at no. once it wants you to look closer and dig deeper I, I i think yeah you've you've hit the nail on the head it is one of the things that i love about this movie is how assured it is in its quietness and it it doesn't need to yell there is like the conflict that does arise in this movie even is like things that you would not expect to be conflicts in a movie because they feel so mundane and not really dramatic (laughs) but everything is so wonderfully composed the shots are so wonderfully composed and the storytelling is so thoughtful and also so deep and true like even even if you have not had a spouse cheat on you and then 
die before they were going to tell you something incredibly important you can feel what he's going through because of just they've stripped like you said they stripped all the noise away from the story and it just left the human being at the center of it and i i mean again like nishijima what a performance that he gives that even though he's not giving away hardly anything with his face you can still read into him what he's feeling and what he's repressing and trying not to feel <laughs> and i think there's a lot more pain in that when you see someone it's i'm not hmm. what's your take on this was he intentionally keeping it in himself or was it an inability to bring it out um the his his, his pain yeah. over i i Ooh, that's good. <laughs> um, I do think that in some ways he was purposefully repressing it. I think that there was something about how, it, to me, it seemed like he wanted to hang on to his wife for as long as he could, especially since they had, you know, they had that um, the tragedy with their daughter, I, and he now feels like he is he was he was losing her you know in a way when she was alive but or he discovered that he was but because that story is kind of unresolved he, he wants to hold on to it because the, he there, there are no answers he doesn't he feels like he doesn't understand her so I feel like he was always sort of holding on to that as a way of holding on to her and trying to understand her, um, even though she's not there to give any answers. <laughs> I think that that is the pain of loose ends is that you never really can settle things. And with, with him, it's, you know, that question is one of those things when I'm really also questioning myself, looking back into what I saw and I think it could be both. It's like he was trying, he was actively trying to hold things in. But in the process, he kind of loses control of it. Like, you know, sometimes when you've already yeah, mastered the art sure. of conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. And it comes a point <laughs> yes. when, like, it's now. Get your Elsa yeah, on. It's already a burden. And, like, you, like, you thought you were in control and then you're not already. And I think that's the beauty of um, Nishijima's performance is that you see the pain kind of inching in. It's not something that he's actively holding in, but it's like he thinks he is in control, but he's not. And it's a more painful thing because I think he there is a realization kind of midway, I guess, or near the end where, oh, yeah, this is this is a lot. And... This is too much already, but, you know, he is so used to dealing things as quietly as possible. And maybe he could not do it in any other way anymore. That's why it was, it, he needed to do the play. And then maybe he, there was also yeah. the fear. You know, he really resisted to playing the, the lead role. Um, yes. Because yeah. I think, oh my gosh, I'll be crying. Um, that, it's like, <laughs> th that's the only way he could externalize whatever's inside 
and he doesn't he's not willing to go there yeah and yep that fear is very paralyzing but we also see in the end on how kind of like this film is about grief and we kind of experience it with him on just like how everything is like uh, um even if everyone's like <laughs> I remember this one random scene when everyone was given the roles and everyone was like congratulations congratulations like yeah that's that, that I think that's um a simple scene but it also kind of replicates the how that shot that scene was staged on how grief could be is that it is a happy moment but there, there's n- you feel numb you feel nothing there is a distance but you're there but you don't you're not there as a, at the same time and then in the end the character of um, Yusuke kind of achieves some intimacy, which um, beautiful because he it could, still because it's it's a ethereal performance. He could hide in the guise of being in character, and yet in real time he's processing himself and whatever he's dealing with. And it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing that only performers could ask could understand. I'm kidding. Everyone goes through that. Everyone goes through that, and everyone yeah. is performing in the society. Mm-hmm. there is something about like the and it's not he's not performing grief he's performing the opposite of that he's performing the person who has you know like had this happen in the past but he's moving on and he's leaving that behind but of course he is doing nothing of the sort <laughs> right um god i love it and that that final scene um during during the production of Uncle Vanya, that is one of my favorite scenes of the year. It's one of my favorite uh, scenes in a movie about theater. I think that I've ever seen. I it is. I, I my my letterbox review of this movie was like the first two point five hours. This is nice. This is what a nice little yeah. human story. And then the last 30 minutes, oh my God, why am I crying? Because <laughs> it gets all these like little tiny emotional catharses that build up to that scene and he, that breakdown. You just see him breaking through everything and finally like, moving forward and going on with his life and accepting what he can know and what he can't know and leaving behind what he can't know to move forward with his life and get out of this sort of limbo or stasis that he's been in. And it is so beautiful. I and 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 again to put that scene to put that big the big climactic monologue in the hands of um a, a deaf performer so that everyone who is watching this will have to read it that everyone is in the same group that no matter unless you are unless you happen to be deaf you will have to be reading the subtitles in that moment and it's putting everyone in the same boat and how beautiful that is too um uh, yeah it's this is again this is movie 
I'm very tempted to release like the video version of this. It's like crying, wiping tears. You know, I, I kind of know. I kind of know a little bit of ASL, but I think it's Korean yes, sign language. Yes. So even I had to lean in because, for example, when I was watching Koda, um, I kind of get what was happening, even without subtitles. Because I kind of know the signs, not this one. So yeah. I think unless you're um, you know Korean sign language, you have to lean in. And the power of making the audience lean in. It's like it's a leap of faith that not everyone is willing to go to. But if you do, and it in the case of this film, it's very rewarding. Um, the film, obviously, it's there's a lot of um, cars. <laughs> I don't know, a lot of cars. A lot of shots of the same car driving. Um, but, this you know... One um, car, yeah. I think that the, the, the scenes of driving is a motif it's like a slow process of moving and the film is about movement is it um moving forward i don't know processing what he has gone through and is going through isn't going to be linear so sometimes the the the, the repetition of the shots of the car feels cyclical at times and it's a replication of how you process these things it's like it's it's never it's never um one one direction it's 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 oh you you feel like are, am i back to square one or like am i actually moving and but in the process the important thing is you're moving and drive my car again it's like because hamaguchi knows the story he's the, it, like of course i don't know him i want to know him but <laughs> Textually, yeah. you see that he knows the story because the film embodies what he is telling. It's about um, that that um, that journey that he takes, um, and it's a slow journey. That's why, I, you know, first I had the apprehension. I'm not against long run times, not at all. I think, like, yeah. like you know, do your thing. I've been through war and peace, so do your thing. But oh, God, um, yes. <laughs> but I think there's something about 2021. They're like, no, not up two hours, 15 minutes to three hours. What is happening this year? So um, when I was, I was kind of saving drive my car. But then like I realized I could not save it for long because I have to do it for this podcast. Um, I realized how slow it is. And yet it's not stagnant. It's yes. moving. Like, you feel the slowness, but it also kind of, in a weird word, flies by. And then yeah. you realize, you're, because you're just there, present with them, that you're not, I'm not clocking in like, what, one hour already? No. And then when I realize that the play has happened, final closing of the lights. And then like, oh! It's done. I've been with them. It's, it's, it's a beautiful moment when you forget about the temporal element of cinema and you're just there with the story. And it's, it's a deeper sense of involvement that master filmmakers could only do. Very much so. I have seen many movies that are shorter than Drive My Car that feel longer. And I think it is because he hamaguchi has really 
tapped into something special in just in the the with everything with this with this film the not just the the cinematic like the visual storytelling but the actual the screenplay the storytelling of the story um that just it you really are just spending time with these people and they're they're interesting flawed people who you want to get to know and he does like very slowly throughout the movie peel back their layers enough to keep you interested and invested in what they're going through you want to see them you want to see uh yusuke and misaki connect because they are so just me against the world standoffish in general and you want them to make that connection you want to know more about her you want to know that you want him to move on with his life from where he's been and you are you are in that car with them and because there is always something happening like each scene each line has a very carefully crafted purpose in this movie and because every scene has that carefully crafted purpose there's nothing extraneous so it doesn't feel like we're having to wade through all this you know bullshit (laughs) it's just like we are we are watching something and we're learning more about these people and we're there because of that the time spent with them is well worth it and then when you get to the last act and you kind of realize oh we're building to a climax this is the this is the climactic moment it really hits because you've really been with them and for you know you it's been three hours but for them it's been months or you know however long so it it does a really beautiful job of like compressing the amount of time the characters have lived through into a unit of time for us that feels like even less than that it's the magic of cinema i don't know (laughs) no total editing paradox on how it it compressed a lot of time but it flies by but in the moment you feel like oh okay we're still here like it but it 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 finds that balance so yeah um, it was i was actually like a little annoyed the first time i watched it because there came a point I, I don't even remember where in the movie. It's somewhere in the second half of the movie where I really had to pee, but I, I, I couldn't do it. Like I didn't want to break the spell of the movie by like getting up and then coming back. So by the time the end hit, like I really had to pee. Yeah. Just pee. <laughs> Just pee. <laughs> but... But it was it, it it was worth it. It was worth it to just stay in that moment with them. And yeah. I, it, I I forgot about having to be until the movie was over. And it was like, oh my god, I really need to go. <laughs> yeah, I I would have been. I I I I did have to pause, but um, once you kind of got back into it, it snaps you back into the world 
uh, not only in Japan but in the world of the film. You know that slowness, <laughs> yeah. that stillness, that gradual movement that Hamaguchi was able to establish with this film. Um, I have a note here. I don't get what it. Sex. So this film has a lot of sex in like the first forty minutes, and it kind of actually yeah. propels so much in what has happened until the end. Um, <laughs> and but. Um, how do you think that fits in? Because it, it, it is something that kind of um, maybe for me was a bit um, it's something distinctive that I did find um, in the beginning that I didn't find in the end. How do you think that fits in? I'm not I'm not pretty sure I think I'm actually very sure. But you know how it <laughs> sorry <laughs> but how that fits in into the story because I think at this point we can we can break down elements that Hamaguchi has introduced because we are now aware that he knows he's the guy no, he to tell the, the story. And how do you think that fits in? I, I, I admit that the, and I call it the prologue because it all happens before the, um, the title card and opening credits comes in. I, I find that to be the one element of the movie that really holds me back from fully loving it, um, I would not be opposed if it was um, significantly cut down or maybe even removed completely, mm-hmm. which feels like sacrilege. But mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I <Let's> hear it. <laughs> no, I because I, I think that 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 part of it is the most. Like I said earlier, it's the most opaque part of the film. It it it's the most navel gazy. Um, you know, they're having sex and talking about stories about sex, and but, but the entire rest of the movie it feels so different from that. Um, on the other hand. <laughs> Um, well, I have not read the specific short stories um, that this was based on uh, by uh, Haruki Murakami, but I have read other of his stories. And I, the way that this whole film, and in particular that, that first act, that prologue, captures his style of writing is beautiful um there is and it is actively sort of encouraging you i think to try to figure it out in heavy air quotes um you know like you know, oh, this story that she's telling, like, what is the real, like, what is she really talking about? You know, um, and I think, I think all of it kind of goes to the, that well of, she's just this mysterious woman that he's never going to fully know. And in a way that feels, um, I'll say in a way that feels more 20th century than 21st. <laughs> um, sort of, you know, that whole the unknowable woman thing 
when we were when we were last talking we talked about my night at mods yeah that sort of woman you know um so the elements of that that i that i don't like but it does sort of set that the tone of the narrative to be about listening to people talk and being in the moment with them and again it's sort of all so carefully drawn out that even though i was sort of annoyed by it a little i i i kept watching i'm like yeah go on tell me more uh-huh and <laughs> i i think it's a little bit of the um <laughs> when game of thrones was on they called it sex position where they're dropping like important information to the plot but they're doing it while people are having sex um because that's you know that's an, a visually interesting way of having your exposition i don't know um and i think there's a, a little bit of a little bit of that but it's also something about sex and intimacy and that you we we think of sex as being this the most intimate act that you can have with someone but it's not always just because you have sex with someone doesn't mean you know them doesn't mean that you know the innermost feelings of that person and that's one of the things that we learn across the movie is the deep inner feelings of people you really get that by listening yeah, that that thing was, I I, I did and and um, on in general I did sense a disconnect, but at the same time it also makes sense, because then it's like the the, the divide between what happens before and after he she dies, and then it's like, it's another layer of sadness when. Sex is with detachment as opposed to intimacy, and that the only way she could he could be able to be intimate yeah. with her in a very sad way as well is through the recordings of Uncle Vanya that he was um practicing the lines with, and that's that's the best he could get to yeah. speaking with her because even in the moment she was using sex, especially with other men, for inspiration. I couldn't blame her. But, you know, the thing with Drive My Car is that it is about, again, going back to communication. And it's just so kind of, again, sad that that is that was the norm for him. They're married, but they're never connected, even in their most supposedly intimate moment. And yet he was only able to find some semblance of intimacy without her already. Um, but you just deal with what you have and you just move on and you're he is forced to move forward he- hesitantly or otherwise um but um it is beautiful it's sad and um i don't know um you know the film is also about trauma 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 no it is about uh <laughs> so many movies about trauma these days um, oh my gosh what are we going through? <laughs> but it, <laughs> <Jesus>. ultimately, <laughs> um, do you think the film is also about forgiveness? Oh, absolutely. My my second favorite scene after the um, that last scene uh, at the theater is the 
big scene with Yusuke and Koji in the car, um, which is just I, I I love when directors really go for that direct address and have the actors just like look straight into the camera and talk. And that he deploys that here so masterfully. Oh my god. Um, it is, and and it's the in so many ways that's the scene that like you're waiting for. Mm-hmm. The movie, right? Is you're waiting for this moment of confrontation between the two, and but it ends up not being a confrontation exactly because in the end he he learns more about this man than he does about his wife and he learns that they are much they're so much more similar (laughs) than they are different it's beautiful. <laughs> um, it is. And, uh, you know, I think that moment, it, it made me happy because it kind of recalled of Ozu. Mm-hmm. Yes. The direct address. A lot of this movie um, reminded me a lot of Ozu. It's that these, um, the sort of fixed camera angles and everyone just moving around in them. I, yeah. <laughs> really about pe- and really about people talking. Yeah, it's I feel so pret- talking. Yeah, I feel so pretentious. Like, it reminds me. Of, oh, I've only seen one Ozu, but um, <laughs> which one? Oh, Late Spring. It's not even okay. Tokyo Story, but Late Spring. But the direct addresses. It's like, like I said, it's the moment of confrontation, and the film uh, Hamaguchi uses the, I guess, the most confrontative device is yeah. to put characters facing the camera like be- because you're not seeing them together like you're always on the edge like what what is going to happen because you're only seeing isolated shots but then it becomes a confrontation that isn't and i think that was the of course i think that's that's late in the film right uh yeah it's sort of it's definitely in the last half yeah probably like I don't know. Time is weird with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I think that was a moment when I'm like, okay, best director nomination. All right. But, um, you know, with that was, that was brilliant because again, it's a, I think the film could have had missteps along the way, especially when there are moments that veer into big drama and this is potentially big drama. But because it remains true to itself, it it kind of subverts whatever you think a confrontation would look like. And this is confrontation in the world of this film with these characters and with the nature of the characters that he has introduced. I mean, there isn't really... I mean, right, there isn't really like a character you could consider evil. Like, these are characters just like, they're just together. no. And you would you would think yeah. that it would be Koji, the man who was sleeping with the man's wife, but then you realize like he has, so he's going through some shit, and I wanted I just love that 
you think this is going to be this big confrontation scene and he doesn't even confront him (laughs) he they they never they don't tell the truth to each other and somehow they both come out of that better for it it it, it's like we and i i want to ask do you think that Koji knows that Yusuke knows that he was sleeping with his wife. In the moment, I think I did. You know, yeah, because I, 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 I had different ideas about that both times that I watched this movie, and I, I the thing is that it like works either way. Yeah, it works either way. The same thing it's with how much. Yeah. The same thing with the uh, um, Nishijima's like eternalized. It, it it works either way as well. Yeah. Yeah, I I just love that they never that they even though they don't say the thing that we expect them to say, they they say and hear the things that they need to say and hear, and they're able to get resolution without coming into conflict. I don't think there are many movies that would take that route because, you know, generally speaking, even in more quiet movies, you still want there to be a drama and you want there to be the release. And, but the release is not about the release between these two men, it's about their individual internal release. Like, who does that? Who is making movies like that? Ryusuke Hamaguchi. That's it. <laughs> Asian slow cinema. <laughs> yes. Asian slow, yeah, cinema. Asian slow cinema. <laughs> yes, very uh, true. Yeah. Which is weird because, like, I generally, I, I uh, slow cinema tends to really try my patience, but this movie, I don't know, it locked into some magic formula or something it did and i I, and i i could honestly say that maybe one more viewing and i would be 100 percent with this film like (laughs) i think after the elections when i'm in a good place (laughs) um i think i would lock into this film but as it stands um like i said a while ago i'm gonna be honest i respect this film more than i love it but breaking down what has transpired with this film it's like it's so rich respect yeah it's so rich it's so detailed it's it's a film that you could take it apart and when you put it back it's still a whole and i I don't think there's anything because i think you know we're living in a time of like film reaction when when you don't love something you hate it like no I, i could respect the film and see the brilliance maybe the issue is with me and I would see it some other time then maybe it would not it would now um click with it 100% but as it stands drive my car I I I I, I so admire this kind of filmmaking um I could say that if I tried to make something like this it would be pretentious because I am <laughs> dramatically aggressive and this is not going to be my art there but I'm go. so glad that someone else did someone who could do it much better than I did um 
Is there anything else you'd like to add to drive my car? Um, okay. Uh, one of my other, uh, I'll say my, my other big problem with the movie. And then I'll say one of my other favorite things about it. I do not like that little epilogue. Oh, the pandemic thing? Um, yeah, with her in the in the car with the dog. I I I would have preferred that it end with that climactic scene in the in the theater. I think that is such a perfect, beautiful ending, and then it just keeps going. And I, it's one of those things where, like, on an intellectual level, I understand why Hamaguchi has done this. For me, I think it sort of dulled the impact of the film a little bit, having extending beyond that a little. Um, so that's an, oh, I didn't. Yeah. What? I forgot that scene existed. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> you, I, <laughs> I, it, the movie, I, I don't think the movie needs it. It feels extraneous. And when the movie is already so long, I think y- you, you didn't, you didn't need that scene. I get why it's there. It's for her character. But I, I think it really, for me, it just added more time to a movie that I didn't think needed it. Um, And then my other favorite scene in the movie is when they are, um, they do the rehearsal outside, the scene between the two women. And that is, I, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like reach for my notes on this because I, (laughs) <laughs> I wrote I wrote down I wrote down a lot about um uh Uncle Vanya and um its relationship to this movie and the 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 really the fascinating thing is that like that scene in the play is one of the like when you know scholars and critics you know read very closely in the play that is one of the scenes that is a quote unquote problem scene in the in the world of the play it is it's very artificial it doesn't um fit with everything that's going on when so much of the play is um going one way this does another thing that just feels very uh fake and false compared to everything else and for them to take that scene and have it be this moment that sort of unlocks the play for these actors and to make such a beautiful moment of human connection between these two actresses i was just i was i was gobsmacked i was gobsmacked by it um yeah and just again, like the way that that scene is shot and staged and composed, it's just I. I love theater and I love <laughs> cinema, and it's such a perfect blending of those two things. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is, and uh, that's drive my car. 
你在笑什么？我想弹钢琴，你要我弹点什么吗？ OK。今何かが起きていたでもそれはまだ俳優の間で起きてるだけだ次の段階がある観客にそれを開いていく一切損なうことなくそれを劇場で起こす三幕も覚えてみるか高槻はい Alright, so let's talk about how Drive My Car ended up at the Oscars. It premiered in Japan in August 20, 2021. And then it premiered at Cannes in July 11, where it received Best Screenplay. Cannes. It was released in the United States. Later that year, I cannot see the date. Later that year, and then it won tons of awards.、Um, but just a quick summary for example,、um, it, it won foreign language film at the not televised Golden Globe Awards, and then it won、um, it, it was the latest film to win Best Picture from Los Angeles Film Critics, New York Film Critics, and National Society of Film Critics. Others being Goodfellas, Schindler's List, Elisha, The Social Network, and The Hurt Locker.、Um, I could not see how it did at BAFTAs, but at the Oscars, it was not only, it didn't only win international feature film, it was also nominated for adapted screenplay for Hamaguchi and Takamasa Oe, Best Director for Hamaguchi, and Best Picture.、Um, Hamaguchi being nominated for Best Director is the third time it has here a Japanese director since、uh, Hiroshi Tishigahara in 1965 and Akira Kurosawa in 1985. Um, um, okay, so、um, you, you, you follow award season very closely, and、um, I think this has become like one of the wonders of this film, especially Drive My Car, as one of the most interesting. Things that has happened because, um, pl- please correct me if I'm wrong. I think it the buzz was just organic, it, it really, really was. It was one of those things where I remember coming out of Khan, it, it excited me that it won the screenplay prize because earlier that year at the Berlinale. Humaguchi had won the screenplay prize for another movie, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy.、Um, and I like, like, how many times has that happened that a filmmaker has won the screenplay prize at two of the biggest film festivals in the world for two separate movies? I don't think it's ever happened.、Um, and if it, if it has, then it is super duper rare.、Um, but I remember like people were, it, Got like a little bit of buzz and was clearly critically appreciated. 
but it was you know the all the talk out of Khan was pretty much about Tatan, <laughs> and so it got I think it got swallowed up a little in that whole conversation, and also that jury just went like prize happy that year and had like three ties so like there were a lot of movies that got awarded at con and the first time that i sort of really picked up that it was going to be this something that was very special i think was when it played not even when it played at tiff but when it played the new york film festival um was when I started to hear like all the critics just going really insane for it. And just every, like that was when it's like, it's a masterpiece. It's beautiful. You don't realize the three hours can go by so fast. And just talking about what a master Hamaguchi was, which is, and that's the other thing. Like if you're in, if you really pay attention to international cinema, you may know Hamaguchi's name from Asako 1 and 2, and then earlier from this year from The Fortune and Fantasy. That was the first film I had ever seen from him. I'd never heard his name before. Um, so it, his rise, I think there was this sort of element of discovery of Hamaguchi as a filmmaker that I think really pushed it far and just the fact that we I think don't get these kinds of films in America all that much <laughs> and then for it to win the New York Film Critics Circle made a lot of sense but then when it won LA that was like okay this is this is becoming like the critical cause celebre of the season at that point. Because even though all the regional critics pretty much fell in line to power of the dog, the that the, New York and LA rarely agree on movies. And then when you, you like you said, when you throw in the National Society of Film Critics, that has happened, you know, less than 10 times throughout as long as these organizations have been alive. So that means that it's really something special and like you can't ignore it at that point. And then I think that it is really a case that critics made that movie happen. The New York win, the LA win, and the National Society win. That made it so that if you liked movies, even a tiny bit, you have to see this movie. And that is really what pushed it to become this massive front runner for the international feature Oscar in a year that was uh, had a lot of really great films in contention for that prize. And that pushed him into the screenplay category and the director category and then into best picture. Because the big, the big hurdle for this movie was always getting people to see it. <laughs> I think what you once yeah. you see it, it's yeah. hard to deny that this is a really well-made film and very moving in many ways. <laughs> they got him to see it, <laughs> and look what happened. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I remember from Khan, from Khan, and uh, until you know, the, before the critics started announcing their picks, people people were floating names. I, I think this was the year when I don't think we had a solid, solid front runner ever until Drive My Car. I mean, at first, a hero, and then. There came a point when, of course, when 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 Titan won at Cannes, like, and uh, if there's a, they're not gonna go for this, but that, and then there was a movement <laughs> to like make this happen, and I think that peaked a bit early, but you know there was a moment when like, oh, are we gonna see her in director as well, or are we gonna get two women again? Uh, I re- I remember that moment. There was that the hot little moment where like could i it was i think it was after france actually selected Titan as their submission because that was i was like oh they're never gonna they're never gonna make that their submission to the oscars no it, it's france they will pick something much safer there's no way that they're going to pick Titan, and then they did and that was another one where like love for that movie too like once people saw it yeah, I saw it was all I could talk about for like a solid week because that movie is just like one of those like it ends and you like okay who else has seen this movie I need to talk to somebody about this movie, <laughs> um, and that was a that was that was a moment when it was looking like she could break into director that was that was a beautiful thing, <laughs> but it didn't happen. You're right. It was it was sort of like we were sort of defaulting to Farhadi because the hero had good reviews and some people were defaulting, oh, Pedro will win it's again for Parallel Mothers. <laughs> and then Spain didn't select it because they, because they <laughs> do that. Um, and they, I, there, I was, there was always in the back of my mind that worst person in the world could have done it because Trier is uh, somewhat, somewhat more established but not like a huge he's not like a Bong Joon-ho like or Guillermo del Toro celebrity director people know who he is and that was the other one that everyone sort of really raved about out of Khan Renata Rensvi winning uh, lead actress but um, no the critics really coalesced around Drive My Car and then the thing is um and the thing is, Neon had Titan, the worst person in the world, Flea, Memoria, um, a hero. <laughs> what an incredible slate of movies they had. <laughs> a hero, uh, Amazon, uh, a hero. Amazon had a hero. Um, I think Netflix had prayers for the stolen. Netflix had prayers for the, the stolen. Falls. No, I don't know. Maybe not. Sorry. I don't think I don't I'm think sorry. they had the falls. Um, um, and then the, huh, poor, poor Bleecker Street had "I'm Your Man." I'm Your Man. So in the pictures had <laughs> compartment number six. Yeah. Um, um, A twenty four had lamb. A twenty four. A twenty four. Yeah, A twenty four had lamb. Had lamb. Yeah. Um, oh, Netflix had the hand of God. Come on. All right, Netflix had hand. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Blocked out of memory. I forget that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, there was just so much. And then, you know, Drive My Car from uh, Janusz Films. 
Venice Films. Yeah, this is. I think this is the first time that they've won the international feature Oscar, which is insane, given that they've been distributing these art house films for forever. I did, when I was watching Drive My Car, I didn't know that they still existed because I was <laughs> no, not, that wasn't that wasn't a shade or anything because I was I know I was seeing their logos from Babbitt's Feast in eighty seven. Yeah, yeah, it's all, they're like, they, I, I think I'm most used to seeing their logo in front of Criterion Collection movie. <laughs> uh, this is, this is really their thing. And then they ended up in picture, like, I, when I see Janusz from, okay, this is foreign language film contender, no, not picture. And then this distributor just got into picture and like, oh, and I think, um, I think it was when it won New York, Los Angeles, and National Society of Film Critics when people started taking it seriously as picture. But, you know, people were still going back and forth. Nightmare Alley being the Ricardo's house of Gucci. Maybe drive my car. But I also thought that it could be like, you know, it could get an adapted screenplay and picture and director, but not picture. I could still see it happening. Yeah, that Uh, was my... I thought it would get um, international feature and either director or screenplay but probably not both but if it got both then it would probably be in best picture Mm -hmm. also (laughs) which is what ended up happening the expanded ballot (laughs) went to straight 10 i think that really helped it it really helped it but um it's just um for me and you know as someone who didn't wasn't as involved with the award season this year Drive car remains one of the most fascinating things because you can't fake that enthusiasm. Yeah, no, you can't you can't fake it. And then it was doing really well in art art house cinemas, um, especially in a time when not only pandemic but um, corporations, um, it's and how it did really well in art house cinemas and, and for for a slow cinema to do that for a slow Asian for a cinema three hour I, movie, yeah, to do that, um. It would just remain. I think I lived it in the moment, and I did not get why was that happening. And I think five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now, people will look back to this Oscar year like, okay, two things. Number number one, um, a film with three nominations swept over the film with twelve nominations for picture. Number two, how did Drive My Car happen? So slow, you know. It would be this award season is going to be the mystery of mysteries. Aside from that slap, but all right, yeah. It's it's really one of the most incredible things that has has happened was the rise of this movie. I I still don't even fully understand it, other than that the critics made it so that people had to see it. They watched it and they're like, "Yep, that is that is absolutely a great movie." So congratulations to Janusz Films for doing it. Yeah. So now let's go to the other nominees that were nominated this year. The nominees were Flea from Denmark, The Hand of God from Italy, Lunana Ayak in the Classroom from Bhutan, and The Worst Person in the World from Norway. This is, again, um, kind of a rare year where two films from Asia were nominated. It almost happened... It almost got to three. <laughs> um, if that's the case, then it would have only been the second time when three nominees were from Asia, but it didn't happen. So we only have two this year. Um, which film would you like to discuss first? 
Um, I, yeah, God, can we just get the hand of God out of the way? All right, so the hand of God. Aw, come on. I'm sorry. The hand, the hand of God from Italy, directed by Paolo Sorrentino, who, um, which um, already directed The Great Beauty, which won Best Then Foreign Language Film at the... Um, 2013. Now he's back with The Hand of God um, from Italy. Um, it is, for a quick summary of the film, based on Google, it is about... Um, okay, In 1980s Naples, Italy, an awkward Italian teen, twink, struggling to find his place, experiences heartbreak and liberation after he's inadvertently saved from a freak accident by football legend Diego Maradona. Um, why did you want to get this out of the way? All right. Because I'm, I'm not a fan. Of Sorrentino <laughs> or of this film? Um, of this film. Okay. Um, I, it, the cinematography is beautiful, um, which yeah, I would expect from Sorrentino after The Great Beauty, which also had very beautiful cinematography. But, uh, I was just, I was not into this movie. I wasn't into the characters or the plot or it, 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 it didn't happen for me. It didn't work for me. There's that sort of like, it didn't have the magic that like drive my car had. It didn't. It didn't work on me. I it there were a lot of movies this year that were um or this past year that were um that were about directors doing like semi autobiographical movies. Yeah. About... Titan. <laughs> <laughs> the worst person in the world. No. Yeah. Um a hero. Um Oh my god. Don't say that. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um and I this was the one that to me was just the one that like I, I get I I I I get it but I don't get it like I get what he was going for but it did not speak to me. I was just sort of like, "Oh god, you're you're just really into this you're into what happened to this kid i guess because it was you but like maybe let the rest of us in a little <laughs> you know it oh quick question um what did you think of the great beauty and if you've seen youth great beauty they're they're both films that i kind of respected a little more than i loved mm -hmm. um youth i liked more than the great beauty mm -hmm. um i think that's largely because i think of the cast <laughs> mm -hmm. um and i think uh, jane fonda in that movie is everything mm -hmm. um but Still i look at my ass really. <laughs> 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 so good but i think that was the thing with this movie like it didn't have 
the it it was beautiful to look at and not involving enough for me whereas the other two like great beauty i i felt that a little bit but i was i thought the filmmaking was so exciting in a way um that that drew me in but i guess here it was sort of like sorrentino plays his hits you know and i guess i was some of the excitement was taken away because it was just like what i kind of expected from him Um, I asked that because I've said it way back in the first season when I discussed The Great Beauty that um, the, the thing with The Great Beauty is that I I don't love it. I respect it a lot. But I think it comes down to me not really connecting with the main character because of where the character is coming from. Um, and, you know, for me, I am I made peace with those films that I would not connect with every single film that I watch. Even films that I respect or I think are really well made just because maybe perspective or privilege or just cultural. I, I accepted that with the great beauty. Yeah. I, I highly admire that production. And even in the film that mostly left me detached, the ending of that film really stung with mm. me. Um, with that peaceful music of the, is it a sin? Is this in France? No, forget about what I said. Um, that river. And then youth. I loved youth. I, I don't know why I, I loved it. I was drawn into it. Um, Maybe the cast excited me. Maybe Simple Song Number 3 hit me hard. I love Simple um, Song Number 3. Oh, I feel free. And then, you know, that happened. But with The Hand of God, this made me sad because um, kind of like Belfast for me. Um, it felt like, sorry. <laughs> it, it felt like something that was coming from the filmmaker's like inner inner child, I guess, maybe. But it wasn't coming through to me emotionally. Like, it should have easily had. Because um, I was seeing, for example, I, I, in both films, I was seeing images that probably, uh, that probably felt very much of what they saw when they were young. Or maybe the worldview that they had then. The wonder, the clueless, the wonderment and cluelessness. But the fact that those things weren't connecting to me made me sad because it meant like, Oh, that was the goal, but then it didn't. I didn't achieve the goal, or maybe there was a curb that maybe, for example, with the hand of God, it was very focused on the peculiar beauty of it yeah. that kind of like gave me a barrier of some sorts that I, I, and I don't know. I, I wish I cared more because it was yeah. really beautiful, and um, um, there are moments about it that are kind of relatable. Like for example, not relatable sounds bad, but um. For for example, the the character of the Baroness when she that's not relatable. The, when she asked um what's the name of Twink Fabietto to have sex with her so that he could have a future ahead. There is a melancholy to it that yeah. I wish the film could have unpacked. Melancholy, I mean for Fabietto she would just be a chapter. You know he lost his virginity there, but for her, it's already a lifetime and. Is it really helping or taking advantage of the moment? I don't know, but it had pockets of genuine emotion that came few and far in yes. between. That I wish it dwelt more because the film's intention was already there. And um, unlike Belfast, I think this was actually technically well made. I'll keep my mouth shut. 
In my <laughs> humble opinion. No, I, I do in my humble like opinion. The, the cinematography sorry. in this in the hand of God is legitimately gorgeous. Um mm-hmm. in it. I'm sorry. No, I, I'm sorry. Belfast I is a movie actually that I like more in retrospect than I did actually while I was watching it. I liked mm-hmm. it but didn't quite mm-hmm. love it while I was watching it and then mm-hmm. as the season wore on and more and more people kept tearing into it I was just like yeah I was rooting, rooting for, for it, it more because like it was a movie that I liked I the the everlasting love scene I love and when I saw that at uh, TIFF that scene absolutely sent me I was in tears I was crying it's so beautiful afterwards i called my mother what was um, that scene? after was it... the yeah. the funeral when jamie um dornan sings everlasting love in the court and oh. she's dancing in the black and white mm. and it i was that communal mm. that sense of communal joy after tragedy just really mm. spoke to me mm. in the in the fall of 2021 <laughs> um, <laughs> we were going through it it's a very endearing film i think the you know, the kid is so cute um and the like sort of preternaturally gifted but I, I do agree that I do agree with the people that like who say it's a little bit of a messy film. I, I can I can see that. Um, but it is a film that I like a lot more than I think a lot of people do, even though I don't love it completely. But The Hand of God is like I respect the artistry, but the story, it left me cold. Not even cold, because there are like you said, there are moments that are very emotional. They just they were so few and far between and most of the movie i'm like okay can we get to the good stuff <laughs> yeah yeah can we get to the good part um i think you know with the case of the hand of god and, and also belfast um they frustrated me because um I knew it's like I there is a good movie inside this it. movie just like struggling to yeah, get out that's how i felt um, with the hand of God, I didn't know how to fix it. Maybe it's in the writing stage with Belfast. I was like, I was trying to fix it on the technical level. Like, I want to edit this part. I want to move the camera here. Like, okay, let's remove it. I was, I was fixing it as if like <laughs> I'm doing post production. And I'm like, but with the hand of God, I didn't know there was fundamentally something hollow, hollow, um, underneath the supposedly autobiographical nature of it. Um, but you know, um, there are people who love it, uh, who like it. And this was early on one of the pegged front runners until it kind of underperformed at Venice. Um, but again, I, I, I don't like, uh, maybe it was the distance that I had in the award season that made me sick with tearing down films. I kind of used to do that before, but now just like, it makes me sick. Especially when the film is kind of well intentioned, like you could criticize a film formally or like professionally, but to tear them down, like you know what, I'm gonna sound pretentious because after this I will tweet about all this film is shit, (laughs) the worst. But you know, the hand of God, uh, not for me. Maybe for other people it would be, 
it's fine. We all have our cup of teas. So, um, which film would you like to discuss next? Um, L- Lunana. Lunana. A yak in the classroom. Lunana. Lunana. All right. <laughs> which I thought was a delightful surprise. Yeah. Uh, Lunana, a yak in the classroom from Bhutan. First nomination. Directed by Pao Choi Ning Dorji. Um, it's about um, an aspiring singer who was uh, um, aspiring to move to Australia to pursue his career. But then he was tasked to be a teacher. He's also a teacher at his day job. And he was tasked to teach in Lunana, the most remote place in the country and I think in the world as well for them. And um, he starts making, adjusting to the life because it is a very... Um, simple life that the people of Lunana were living, but um, yeah, what did you think of this Lunana delightful film? Yeah, it it's it's a little basic, mm-hmm. but there is something I, even it is one of those things where it's. It's sort of like the standard kind of inspirational teacher narrative, but it's so culturally specific. And so, you know, it's shining a light on this part of the world that most people have not been to or even really know about. And I, I thought that, I think that the best way to go about um showcasing these parts of the world to a wider audience is about you know finding these sort of uh classic narratives Mm -hmm. and adapting them to be culturally specific to this um you know remote place Mm -hmm. and i and i i loved i loved it Mm -hmm. it it's not it's not it's not my favorite of these movies i don't think it's the best certainly but it is it's a it is a what like you know what your grandparents would call it's a nice movie the nice movie and i mean come on that yak what a star yeah <laughs> a friend of mine would probably call it an afternoon movie where like oh you know yeah you, you, you don't overthink to settle in after this, you get some snacks, and then you go to, I don't know, sleep again, <laughs> wake up for dinner. Um, Lunana Yak in the Classroom. If I did a connection with The Hand of God in Belfast, I would make the connection between Lunana and Coda. Um, okay. These are films that, for me, um, narrative-wise, were unchallenging. But because they are simple, you could easily settle in. And focus on what it makes you feel. Um, they are bound by the classic narratives that I think they were following. But um, the, the strength of both films are also the cult, the cult, the cultures. You know, whether or not they agree with the representation. For example, with Koda, the setup between the deaf family, the community, and with Lunana, it being in this community, the the Lunana community. Um, I kind of remember nineteen ninety nine when. Again, from a highland country from Asia, from Nepal, Caravan uh, or Himalaya from now. And again, I kind of remember it. The story is kind of um, um, very easy to follow, but it is 
in the authenticity of capturing that area and not feeling that they're being exoticized and being just yes. be with them and um finding humanities in people that uh, in the characters I mean um it it gives you so much joy for me because um I would wish probably for something more specific but what what I got I think it's already wonderful and um I don't know it it's quietly moving actually it's it it's it's cute but I don't think it's very 100% actively loudly pulling the heartstrings yes that's exactly Which I my thoughts yeah mm-hmm. um I really respect that and um I, I'm glad Bhutan got this moment um the first the first movie they submitted and the first movie they got nominated yeah yeah oh I'm so happy for my Asian friends <laughs> And I and honestly like that <laughs> that that um the team behind that movie they mm-hmm. did yeoman's work getting that out um that yeah. I, which and I I had forgotten about this that like they had originally submitted it um 2020, 2020 and it was rejected um for I forget why but then they resubmitted it again this year and it was accepted and they and the team was like just they were sending it to everybody like yeah see this movie and they understood the power of like getting people talking about it because you look at like lunana yak in that classroom what yeah. what is this that's not <laughs> yeah. going anywhere but then you see it and like it really is it's exactly what you said like it is not like uh, people talk about movies that are emotionally manipulative like all movies are emotionally manipulative. That's yeah. literally what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but there's something about movies that, that come by it honestly, that they don't um they don't reach for your heartstrings. They aren't begging for your tears. It it presents the story very simply and honestly kind of like drive my car does and it's nowhere near as sophisticated to film as drive my car but it is just presenting this story with no frills and because of the honesty of the storytelling and the the authenticity of the people in place it gets you to feel a certain kind of way and it gets you to cry those tears yeah, it's a lovely little movie, and I'm so glad it had this moment to get people to see it. Yeah, I think I remember at the time, um, I was just starting to see Lunana tweets. Mm-hmm. Like, where's the yak? Where's the yak? Where's the yak? And then, and then like people were liking it, and like, all right, this is this film is kind of, and you know, for for a category which had like ninety plus submissions, it matters that people it's being yeah. seen, mm-hmm. and. You know, for example, it had, uh, I think, Nathaniel from the Film Experience, Nathaniel Rogers, interview the director from for the website. I'm like, uh, okay, um, they're making the rounds. Okay, and then it it made the leap. I mean, when it got shortlisted, like, wow, is this probably happening? And I kind of predicted that it would get in. Not at the expense of a hero, but it did get in. <laughs> Um, I thought it was the expense of the hand of God. 
the, yeah because that movie was that the movie film stock was falling but i think that the early buzz for hand of god and and of course netflix was able to push it over the top i i feel so bad about everything that has happened to a hero because <laughs> that's such a good movie we'll get to that we'll get to that we'll get to that but um yeah um, God. Uh, Lunana is um, a delightful film but I hope um, when a random queer podcaster in 50 years from now would do this category again <laughs> and would assess like oh you know that small Bhutan film from Bhutan got in and uh, what a delight um, so now we're stuck with Neon Flea and the worst person in the world which one would you like to Oh, which one would you like to discuss next? <laughs> Whichever you would like to discuss next. <laughs> no, I want you to. I want you to pick. Oh my god! Pick. Okay, so let's let's uh, fine. Let's do it. Let's talk about Flea because Flea made me cry. <laughs> uh, Flea from Denmark, directed by Jonas Paul Rasmussen. It is an animated documentary about um, Amir. Amir, right? Amir. Um, well, that's the uh, name that they used for They him. used, yeah. Um, he is being interviewed and he is retelling his story on how um, he had he and his family had to escape from Afghanistan because of um, a takeover in the government that was happening. And then they had to transfer to Russia. And then they had to transfer to different places just to get to safety because um, their safety and their human rights are being compromised already. And he's also uh, gay, so there's also that layer of, again, his safety in being, I mean, his family being a refugee, an Afghan refugee is already being compromised, and him being um, Muslim and a refugee and gay, that just adds more. And he is retelling that story because for the longest time he had suppressed that narrative, that, that real, what really happened to him. I'm gonna cry just for telling the story. What do you think of happened? Do you think of a flea? I know. I this was the movie that I think a lot of people were hoping could do it and could take home the the prize for a long time. The first film to get nominated in international feature and documentary feature and animated feature that's never happened before. I even forgot how to mention that history. What the and like but couldn't have happened to a a better movie Mm -hmm. um i the the first time i saw this film was actually um as part of a new fest the new york Mm -hmm. lgbtq film festival and i had a screener and was watching it at home and i was like you know this is really good but mm-hmm. I'm like I'm not I'm not quite connecting with it. People were talking about how they were crying, and I just I don't I don't get it. Mm-hmm. And then they got to the scene at the gay club, mm-hmm. and his brother, and I was just like, Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> why, uh, why? Yeah. And it. And then I saw it again at the New York Film Festival on a big screen, and I was I was crying for I think most of the movie. 
I I I heard some sort of like griping about the animation style of the movie that it looked uh, inexpensive, <laughs> and to that I'd say, well, I mean, yeah, it it is a documentary. They they usually don't get multi millions to make it look like you know a Pixar movie, you know, or a Disney movie even, um, but. I think that that style really worked for me in that it reminded me so much of a lot of animated films that I saw when I was a kid in like the late 80s, early 90s. Um, it had sort of like a not not a feature film quality, but more like in the after school special type quality to it that seemed to really um fit the story that it was telling and the the time and place of the story um i i especially but even within that it takes it does some really excuse me it does some really beautiful stylistic things um when they are going on the uh journey from afghanistan to wherever they're going um there there are lots of sequences or moments in that it's not the whole thing but there are lots of moments of it where it goes into these like charcoal drawings and there are you suddenly you can't see faces or details of people and it that choice alone has so many layers to it that like you really can feel um the the director Jonas um, Peter Rasmussen, you can feel that he is really thinking about what is the best way to tell this story, and you know, and I think that the choice to do it animated and the styles that they chose, I think that is absolutely the best way to tell the story, to keep you know his identity safe and on thematic levels talking about what it is like to be a refugee to have to flee your home like that and to be in a way faceless and to not have an identity it's really really powerful and again just like a real human story you know i i don't know how you cannot love this movie (laughs) Um, when I when I was um, early in 2021, you know, when Sundance was overlapping with the Oscar season from last year, um, I was watching and I was um, keeping an eye on what you guys were keeping an eye on. Um, I think out of Sundance. Uh, especially in your team, <laughs> uh, you were keeping an eye on what would happen to Mass and Flea. Um, yeah, those are the big yeah. takeaways. I remember everyone was kind of chill with Kodo. That was nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, we did not think it was going to be <laughs> best picture. But um, with Flea, I, I had a strange fascination to it because I wasn't necessarily closely following it, but at the same time, it was also kind of 
I didn't know what it was about, um, but I just know that it was about a refugee crisis and it was showing in some queer film festival. I was like, hmm, what, what is this about? What, what is happening? And then when I saw it, there's also a fear that, um, that I didn't know because I was going into. Um, but, you know, the last animated documentary that I've seen, which was um, Waltz with Bashir, <laughs> wrecked me. Yeah. So um, I was also, like, kind of preparing, like, it, preparing for the unknown. This, I guess, is what, I, what happened to me with Flea. And um, I think just, I mean, in your case, it was at Akimona de Power. Like, you know, you were, you were fine with this one until the gay club scene for me. Uh, for me, it was, it hit me the moment it started. Um, Amir trying to, Amir who has lived a narrative that he put on to survive is slowly trying to get back to what really happened. And the shifting shifting animation styles for me felt like fragmentations of what does it feel like to try to remember something you've repressed for a long time? It's going to be unclear. But you'll have traces of that memory. Um, him looking at John Colvin, I'm like, huh, I know that feeling. Um, not John Colvin, but you know, when you see random guys on TV, like, hmm, why do I like seeing him? I don't know what this means. <laughs> um, and, and you know, ultimately, like everyone knew and except before him, I'm like, yeah, I think the same. But you know, the struggle of doing everything to survive like you're being forced to be fatalistic just because that's the only way you could survive um i wish i was like i can't relate to that but it's starting to feel very relatable um and i think it was tapping i i saw this i think after the release of this episode is going to be after ele the elections in our country but um it, I saw this film in the middle of that and uh, it's very toxic and if you're going to let yourself be consumed by hopelessness and you have dark days ahead in my country and uh, I was starting to see that. I was... I, I see myself moving moving out of my country. Um, I see myself doing that. I see myself being disconnected from my family. I see myself probably doing everything to, to survive but then also... I saw myself when he and the guy were behind a truck and he was just looking at the necklace and we were listening to music like, oh my gosh, that's how I fall in love with men. Oops. <laughs> um, it's really the small yeah. things. <laughs> yeah. It, it's not even the, it's not, for me, that scene did it for me. It's not even the gay club scene because I haven't been in a gay club. I've never been in a gay club. But for me, it's that scene of feeling you're attracted to someone, but you know you're never going to meet a person again. You didn't know the name. And and because, kind of like drive my car, but with Amir, it's much faster. He is all, He needs to always be on the move to survive. The film understands that that journey is composed of strangers that you have vivid memories of. And... Gosh! Like, for example... No, oh, for example, the... The re is it a refugee at the behind behind a truck with the police? That um at first they were thrown into the truck, but then you know, these African boys are useless, so they only left with the woman, and the woman was raped yeah. by the policemen. 
and um, what else? The, the old woman in the snow that yes. they were gonna kill. Mm-hmm. Um, like like I said, the 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 guy that gave him the necklace and he didn't even know the name. Um, I don't know. It, it, I think I tweeted something about um, flea is the reason why we go to Saint Marcel. Something bullshit. I, I was starting to get coded. Well, I mean, <laughs> it kind of is like. <laughs> It it is it the it is again like just the power of storytelling. And you know, um um because you know Matt Neglia from you know him. <laughs> and he, um he was championing Flea really and um I I had to message him like, Hey, thank you so much for championing this because I was so then hyped to see it and then when I saw it like nothing would have prepared me for this and uh, um Unlike Boss of Bashir that left me in defeat because it's like <clears throat> this left me with so much hope. Yeah, it it is it is such a life affirming story in you know that even that we go through such horrible things and yet we come out the other side. It is about the resilience of the human spirit. Even when we think there's no more left to draw on. Yeah. It makes you want to go on with life if you see stories like these. And yeah. Um, it you does. know, um sorry I'm so sorry that it had happened to him, but the fact that um the story was told and in this manner, like this could have been the only way it could have been told, I think. Um yeah, I'm I'm I, it's one of those moments where I feel fortunate. Oh my gosh, I made it to 26 years old and I've seen this film. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm a mess. We have one more film to go in the nominees. All right, the worst <laughs> person in the world from Norway. It is about um, a young woman who's um, um, a mess in life and he tries to figure out love and career and life and everything in between it's she's a lot she is (laughs) and uh i know that you gave this five stars in that box you did right five i i think i give it four and a half four and a half four and a half i'm I'm pretty stingy with fives (laughs) okay um why what is it with this film there, the, a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the the first thing I think that I loved first the little like prologue section of her like you know, changing majors with boyfriends and hairstyles and I right from the beginning of the movie it kind of got to something that. I have sort of like had in my head as an idea, but I don't think I had ever seen really expressed anywhere or that I really even knew how to express, but that in the modern world, we now have more choices available to us. We have more options than we have ever had before. And that while that should be freeing, it oftentimes is not um, because it that 
wide range of choice can actually um, be paralyzing because what do you choose? And it, oh my God, what if I choose the the wrong thing? If I choose the wrong thing, it's not like I was choosing between two things and I can just go to the other one. There's you know dozens of other things that I that I could choose to do, and it feels like that sort of adolescence keeps getting extended and extended and extended. Um, and I love that this was, people think of coming of age movies and they generally think of um, like kids through teenagers. And this was a, a woman, young woman in her twenties. And it felt very, modern and of the moment in ways that I have not seen another film do and certainly not done um, as well as this. Um, I think Renata Renzi is spectacular in this role. This uh, Julie is a maddening person i don't know that i would necessarily want to know her or be friends with her in real life but it is she has her pegged and she really gets under her skin and becomes her in a way that it just feels real it doesn't feel like you're watching an actress playing a character you feel like you're watching this woman live her life um and i love that uh Trier um, and, and the screenwriter and Vox that they were they allowed the film the freedom to just sort of they have that sort of they say you know 12 acts kind of structure yeah. which is whatever that's bullshit but like the the allowing the film that freedom to sort of like fly off on a tangent at any moment's notice and it if genuinely felt like it could become anything and do anything at any given moment which is that's what life is you know life life can stop completely because you meet someone at a party and have an incredible connection with them and can't stop thinking about them or life can start going around in dead-end circles when you realize that you have sort of gone as far as you can go with this person that you planned on spending the rest of your life with or you know life can you can start thinking about all your family and what past generations have done and start to feel really incredibly self-conscious that you have accomplished nothing of what these people had accomplished but by the time they were your age or they would have been dead and accomplished it much younger you know um it there was so much in this movie and yet while i was watching it it never felt like too much instead it felt like just a series of ideas and scenes that came and made their statement and moved on to another incredible scene and then we get Anders Danielson Lee um, I should say Dr. Anders Danielson Lee <laughs> um, yeah. and those last few scenes of his are just a knockout and 
I suddenly reframing that to be almost his story as much as hers is was a turn that I wasn't expecting and caught me off guard and (laughs) him being in his 40s and me being almost 40 Uh, happy Um, birthday (laughs) (laughs) not for another few months but like i'm I'm 38 so okay approaching and getting closer in the distance but there was something about like how it paired her becoming her coming of age with his he already came of age but sort of realizing lessons that he wished he had learned earlier in life and that also just really just spoke it felt like it was speaking specifically to me (laughs) in that moment um i just i love this movie i thought the energy was just electric and it made me it got me deeply emotional and it's very funny and it was everything that i love about movies and all in one film Uh, I'm taking in you did not feel this way about no this no no movie. no no um, <laughs> no. Here's the thing: um, when I was wa- when I was supposed to watch the film, and um, I think at least two friends said to me that you're gonna relate to this film a lot. I'm like, okay. And then when she was starting to become a mess, like, you have any problems with me? You think I'm a mess? And. <laughs> <laughs> There, there are definitely like certain lines in this movie or moments in this movie where I'm like, okay, you did not need to come from my throat like that. Yeah, like you know, like their their issue with age difference. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, yeah, I I liked him, and he's still in school. I'm sorry, but um, the thing with this film is that I just want to say it's really beautiful, and the the structure it felt like. In every step of the way, it was being adventurous. And um, Renata Rensby's performance just kept on growing on me. Um, it's a performance that you could take for granted. But if you miss the detail, if you don't miss the details and you see how it builds up and the power is in the accumulation of it. And I don't even, I don't even think she had a very big dramatic moment, but it is about how you observe her grow or not mm-hmm. yes <laughs> and regardless her life has moved and it's a it's a it's a deceptively simple it's a deceptively seemingly simple performance but it is in the details of that performance that really shows how she she makes this character someone you'd still want to follow because Gosh, she's a mess. So frustrating. <laughs> and maybe that's the thing. I've been saying it a while ago. Sometimes, sometimes um, I could, I could even love a film. I could even like a film. But sometimes it's not just a 100% fit for me in terms of perspective. Maybe I never saw myself as her. Maybe I saw myself more as doctor. That's someone who thought he figured things out and then by oh shit, I I missed some big things. Um so that 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 performance, that final scene hit me hard because then like Yeah. I didn't do anything wrong to you. Why are you saying these things to me? <laughs> um so I think 
you know, whether you see more with Renata Rensby or in myself as a fan of Daniel Sunday, what the fuck? Um, you have entry points um, to this film. Um, I really like this film and it, I understand, I, de- I really understand why people are head over heels with this film. Um, yeah, I'm just not like, 100% fit with her. Yeah, yeah, but sure. gosh, I I admire. I wish I could make a film like this. For example, drive my car. I admit I couldn't do that. Would this? <laughs> I wish I could do something like this. And um, the one magical moment. The oh, when time when, stops. When time stops. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh. oh, I love that scene so much. Ah. Yeah. Oh. So and and, and also, you know, they related to. Is this not cheating? Is this not cheating? Okay. <laughs> Specifically okay. the scene that I was like, now movie. <laughs> Why did you have to come for me like this? Yeah, I was like, did you copy those questions from me? Is this not cheating? Is this not cheating? I said, also I like, like, oh. <laughs> that, that shot of them, uh, sharing the smoke from the cigarette like yeah one of the sexiest images in any movie last year i could see it i yeah i i also think i was i was so so happy when it got that original screenplay nomination for the oscars i think that is inspired it's one of the best nominations in that category I, especially given that field Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is and what it the films that it got in over that were nowhere near as good and so more such more typical Oscar nominated screenplays. Ugh. No. Yeah, I love it. It was my third favorite movie of twenty twenty one. Number twos. No, I'm kidding. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you a top three later. But you know, with with. I forgot what I was going for. Um, but you know. Oh yeah, I know now. Oh, that's that. For first of all, when you were announcing Belfast, don't look up King Richard, the Christmas, you're like, okay, okay, whatever, whatever. I haven't seen. I've only seen Belfast from that nomination. So I'm like, okay. Okay, okay, usual. And we're just mass parallel mothers. What are what are we talking? And they're like, horses in a world. Yeah, yeah. I'll just scream my that out. I mean, <laughs> thanks to Matt Nagley, uh, next best picture is now recorded for all posterity to see. Yeah. But I, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, we also I recorded a re- reaction to it. So like, oh dear, we. <laughs> We look like shit. Yeah, it's true. Like, like, come on. It's not attractive, but um, so this is the group of nominees that we're dealing with. What do you feel about this bunch? I think I think it's a pretty good lineup. I I I think the I think the the three best movies in this lineup would Drive My Car, Worst Person in the World, and Flea are like all time great nominees. Um, and I think the other two are like they're kind of the kind of movies that you might expect would get nominated um, 
it for best international feature while not being great. And I, I, mean, I don't think either of them are bad. I think there were other options from the shortlist that I would have seen that I would have preferred getting in over them, but I'm not like mad at them. Yeah. Um, I feel the same way. I think it, it's, it's a decent mix of films that I absolutely was floored with, films that I respect more than I love, films that I understand the charm, film that's not for me, but maybe for other people. It's, it's, um, it's the usual bunch for me. <laughs> it's like, um, I think I've only had one year where I love all the, nom- like, love, love all the nominees. Ooh. What year? 2019. The Parasite year. Yeah, that was a good year. Yeah, that's. I think that's the only year where there's always um, one that either doesn't connect with me or just like, this is bad, come on. But um, this year, in terms of in other categories, like for example, Writing with Fire from India was also nominated for Documentary Feature. You saw Ascension. It was made in the United States, but it's mostly in Mandarin. Um... Can you tell me what is it about? I I, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, Ascension. Oh, God, this movie. I love it. I love it so much. Um, So it is a, a, a documentary, and it takes a lot of its style from uh, one of the seminal documentaries, Kriyanitz Katsi. Yeah. Um, and it sort of takes a look at uh, modern Chinese society through it in a, sort of about the new Chinese dream, which is sort of a reworking of the old American dream and the idea that you can, you know, work your way up. And it sort of climbs the social ladder looking at, I, I don't know that it is actually all looking at one company, but it feels like it sort of works its way up through one company from like the, the day laborers that you know are basically exploited to work for shit pay every day and they're not full-time employees on up through like the more skilled laborers and then the you know management on the floor of production these manufacturing companies and um like social media influencers who get people to buy things and um then keeping on working up all the way to like the actual like the CEOs and the wealthy people at the top of the um, social ladder in China. And it is stunning. <laughs> um, Jessica Kingdon, it's, it's it, very difficult to believe that this is her first full and feature documentary, um, but it is. And she gets some of the images that she was able to get are incredible. And it's paired with a fantastic score. It, there is very little dialogue, especially in the first half of the movie, but even throughout the, and it's a fascinating look at a culture and what, what is valued and what different um, levels of social strata value. And I was completely entranced throughout the whole thing. It's stunning stunning movie it was one of my favorites in the documentary category and there were a lot of good documentaries last year the rescue yeah the rescue rescue was good um oh what's your favorite doc from last year 
Um, oh, my favorite. I did really love free. I did really love Flea, but I think my favorite documentary was the Lost Leonardo. The one with the painting. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Super duper entertaining uh, and so interesting and just really made me think about not just art, but commerce and how everything in this world is interconnected and all comes back to money and power money. and disgusting people yeah. trying to get more of both. Yeah. It's it, it went, that movie went places I was not expecting it to mm -hmm. go and it's all the better for oh it. Gosh, yeah. Money and uh, Twitter. 44 billion. All right, so um, we have one film here that was also nominated for two Oscar nominations. It is Parallel Mothers from Spain, directed by Pedro Almodovar. It was nominated for Actress for Pedro Cruz and Original Score for Alberto Iglesias. Um, I'm just going to go with a summary in Google because I don't want to spoil it as well. <laughs> um, two single women meet in a hospital room where they both gave birth. One is middle-aged and doesn't regret it, while the other is adolescent and scared. They form a strong bond. Parallel mothers, what did you think of it? So, again, like, not wanting to get things spoiled too much for myself, that synopsis is pretty much all I knew going in, and the fact that Penelope Cruz was supposedly fantastic, and, you know, when is she not working with Pedro Almodovar specifically? She's always great. Um, and the fact that in the end it wasn't really about that or that like it it was but there is also another parallel story that's happening and in the end of the movie that second parallel story seems to be the the more important one really threw me for a loop <laughs> um and in a good way or in a bad way uh more in a bad way than a good way um mm -hmm. i and i feel bad saying that because like i love pedro and i think penelope cruz she earned that oscar nomination boy let me tell you but i it that ending left the film feeling really unbalanced to me um, mm -hmm. I, I thinking more about the movie after I left, I I got the connections between the two stories, but they they were kind of fractured and tenuous. Um, I, I felt like I really needed to know a lot more about Spanish history in order to really get it, or. Pedro needed to be a little more um, and he needed to expand that second storyline a little bit further I think because it really does kind of do like an about face in like the last five to ten minutes in terms of making the film about this grave exhumation and it's one of those things where I, I think I get intellectually what it's trying to do, but in practice, I don't think that worked. Mm -hmm. You know, my reaction to this, I, I totally, first, I understand that. <laughs> um, the thing with Palomares is that I think, you know, um, 
to, to the listeners, I, I'm not from Spain. I am not from Latin America, as my name would probably say. <laughs> I, I had to make this clear. <laughs> I've had multiple instances of people thought I was Spanish, so they were chatting me up in Spanish. We're like, see, oh, no. <laughs> I know a little bit Spanish, but not that much. Um, but I think, you know, with Spain, weirdly, since we kind of had parallel histories as well, you know, both had dictatorships, both had that... Um, I understood the the concern um, in terms of structure or like did, did, did it organically tie up together. Um, for me, instinctively, I got it. Instinctively, it worked. It didn't need to fully um, put things together. I think um, maybe because of unfortunately shared, shared history of fascism that... Um, it, it just made sense to me. So I didn't have an issue with it. Um, my biggest um, the surprise was that Amadova loves melodrama. Loves it. Loves it. But um, <laughs> And there's some moment the, that score just goes full tilt melodrama yeah. in certain moments. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm here for it. <laughs> but, but the thing is, he also knows how to curate the big moments. He knows when to hold back. He knows when to go big. And it's so obvious. His trust at Penelope's performance just comes through. How he captures that. And, you know, Penelope could go big. Penelope could go small. The dance between how he captures that performance and said performance is just... it. It's, um, it's a dream because it's... Like everything just makes sense, you know. Everything, how he captures her, and how she responds to the camera, is just stunning. So for me, that is um, what really uh, hit me hard. Is that for, you know, with, with Penelope's performance again, the film is so melodramatic, but she her performance isn't also like a scene with Lola big moments, but it's more about presentness and drama being a pervading thing as opposed to something that bursts once in a while it's always there that trauma 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 is there <laughs> and she just kind of embodies sadly embodies that um and i think it's a beautiful film that i again like but like you i might have missed some things as well but regardless i i i love what he did and um <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mm, never mind. Yeah, so that's it, it, what a wonderful nomination for her. It's it's. Uh, I, <laughs> has anyone ever looked as gorgeous as Penelope Cruz does in this movie? Because I'm tempted to say no. <laughs> like I yeah. almost turned straight. <laughs> I'm going to quote that. (laughs) She really almost turned me (laughs) in this movie. Like, I... Gorgeous. She radiates beauty and glamour, but it's not movie star glamour, necessarily. She still feels like a real person somehow, but still otherworldly beautiful. I don't know how... I don't know how they do it. It should not be possible. And... I, I do I do feel bad because I do think that Melina Smith 
um, the other parallel mother um, is also a, an incredible performance. You know, the, I think uh, this is an unoriginal thought, but the reason why I am kind of always seeing Penelope Cruz kind of resemble Sofia Loren is that they are both <laughs> stunning mm-hmm. converters. <laughs> 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 but when they're in the moment performing, glamour's gone. They're present. They're, they're there emotionally. You know they're beautiful, but at the same time, they're just so emotionally in their performances. And I think this is the what do you prefer, Valdez or this one with her performance? Oh, for her performance? Ooh. <laughs> I know. I, I it's hard because I know I prefer Volver as a, as a film movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um it's also been a long time since I've seen it though. I I am tempted to say Volver, but I'd preface that with like it's been a while since I have seen it. Yeah, uh, I think I'm gonna go with Palo Mothers, but come on, can't go wrong with those. You, you really can't go wrong. Yeah. you really can't. Yeah, that that's a killer partnership between her and uh, and um, what's the name <laughs> Almodovar. Um, yeah. So this year we're just gonna go. A bit quickly with the other films, you know, they were ninety three submissions. Jordan withdrew their film, leaving with ninety two. Um, some footnotes: um, Ghana, Nepal, and Pakistan. They didn't send. Um, Amira from George from George for Jordan was um, pulled out. Was withdrew out of respect for the feelings of the prisoners and the families um, involved. And then Lithuania. Um, no, no, they were. Namibia had an Oscar selection committee, but they didn't submit. And uh, my dear fucking country, the Philippines didn't submit anything. Um, I, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to expand on that because like bullshit. But um, you know, this year the the other shortlisted films, I'm just gonna go through them, and if you want to highlight a few of the films, uh, from Austria, Great Freedom, Love. <laughs> I just that love great freedom. Yeah. Belgium playground. All very, very powerful movie. I can regret having not seen it's very short. It, it's it's pretty short, which is one of the reasons why I saw it and but it I feel scarred for life. Oh gosh. <laughs> I hope in a good way. Yes, in a in a good way. It's about um childhood bullying. It's very, very visceral and some of the best, most natural child performances I've seen in, a, in actually a year mm. that was full of great child performances. From Finland, compartment number six. This one, I did not like this one as much as a lot of other people. Um, I didn't, I didn't buy the relationship between the two of them as much as a lot of other people seemed to. From Germany, I'm your man. Okay. This was <laughs> my big, like, I want this movie to get a nomination. Uh-huh. Um, and I was very upset when it didn't. 
but I understood because just not a lot of people saw it. But I, Dan Stevens, I think, is one of the best performances of last year. I, I, the only thing about that movie that I don't love, I think it it fumbles the ending a bit. It it, it ends on a very strange note, but everything up to then is such a wonderful, um, very grounded science fiction story about a woman who has who is like beta testing a robot designed to be her perfect mate but she is an academic who enjoys living by herself and doesn't want a mate and there are many good reasons why she why you can understand that she doesn't and why maybe they these robots shouldn't exist but on the other hand, it is Dan Stevens literally playing the perfect man. <laughs> it's very hard to say no to, and yet she does. It, it's very funny. It is very smart. I thought it was so well done. It is just very perfectly droll in that European way. And I, I love that movie, and I wish that it got um, better than it got. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was kind of lucky looking forward to it. You know, um, the concept wasn't. I think I've seen the trailer, but I don't remember it. But I, I love the concept. And you know, <laughs> the thing with Dan Stevens is that he's also a very adventurous actor. Yes. And he also does a lot of great work, which kind of justifies me following him. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like I said, you know, um, I I so look forward to watching this because I want to see the why she is resisting. Um, uh, mating with him because yeah. um, I mean, it's very hard, and I also uh, it has one of my favorite things that like it they actually because it is Dan Stevens and he can yeah he speaks the German really well but they mm-hmm. wrote in why he is speaking it with an English accent and <laughs> it is so funny and so perfect. I, it was just the level of detail that I was like, bravo, like, well done movie. And, and Maren Eggert, who is the lead, um, the female mm-hmm. lead, she won the Best Actress Prize at uh, the Berlinale and yeah. very much deserved. Very much deserved. And, and Maria Schrader, she directed Unorthodox, right? Yes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. 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 I'm so looking forward to this. Um... Sorry, but I, I now I, before I haven't seen the film, I now have questions like, how could you resist it? Like, if that was me, we're gonna run out of KY jelly. Um, so <laughs> what's the next film? Lamb from Iceland, which is such a weird movie, but I was here for it. I've heard that. <laughs> I, Did you like yeah, it? It, it's weird and moody and atmospheric and it has Numeria Pass and a lamb man child thing and yeah I loved it okay <laughs> um, it's, it's horror right <laughs> ish maybe okay. yeah, I won't spoil anything <laughs> yeah horror in an A24 way so. <laughs> I, it is more, I I would classify it more as a drama than 
this is straight up the horror, but there mm. are some horrific elements. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like A24 to me. Um, from Kosovo, Hive. Which I have not seen. Okay. From Mexico, Prayers for the Stolen. Which I did see. And is another one where just like the they, the performances they were get, able to get out of these children, these teenage girls, it, incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Plaza Catedral from Panama. Which is good. Okay. The Good Boss from Spain. <laughs> what is that? Did not see. <laughs> okay. Is it because of it? they submitted it over Parallel Mothers? No, I, I just never, I, I never had the chance to see it, uh-huh. honestly. Um, and I like Javier Bardem, but it was just one that like, I saw it, it and saw the trailer and what it was about. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that I just didn't feel the need to seek out. Oh, but you liked him in being the Ricardos, right? I did. I really liked him in being the Ricardo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say anything, <laughs> but I, <laughs> no, 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 not yet. I mean, it's a good performance for me. Um, but I did intentionally leave out the big miss, which was a hero from Iran, directed by Ashgar Farhadi. Um, this was early on kind of predicted as one of the front runners and um, was widely predicted. I know of some people who, um intentionally uh, who who kind of predicted it could get snubbed um but it was widely predicted okay so i'm gonna read the summary should i not i don't know um rahim is in prison because of a debt he was unable to repay during a two-day leave he tries to convince his creditor to withdraw his complaint against the payment of part of the sum however things didn't go go as planned sounds good okay um it i it is so good um, mm-hmm. I think the 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 problem with it, and probably why it didn't get nominated, is that it is, while it's really really good, it's not quite at the level of a separation. Mm-hmm. That's the bar. But the, like <laughs> like that's a super high bar, right? And yeah. like if the bar for a separation does appear, like a hero like comes like right underneath it. It is so close. So close, but the thing is, a separation is perfection. It's a perfect movie, and Hero is not perfect, but it's really, really good. And Amir Jadidi's performance in the lead is stunning. Mm-hmm. I, I watched, I saw this at a TIFF last year, and I think I spent the last 30 minutes with my head in my hands watching it going like, oh no, oh no, oh no, as things kind of piling up. And it it has that sort of patented Farhadi thing where he is able to give everyone such distinct motivations and you understand every side of a situation and every aspect of everything in a way that just when someone says something that they think is so like right and the thing that's right for them but you understand immediately how it is the exact wrong thing to say to this other person that they're talking to and you're like oh no it 
it, it, it's it's kind of brilliant and but unfortunately given the revelations that we've had since and the court case and the lawsuits and everything that happened it's probably for the best that it didn't get nominated i don't know just add more drama, <laughs> it. drama to the oscars so. they want higher ratings right Let's oh my god everything. but it, it does it kind of i'll just say like it kind of figures that this movie that has this plot would have this kind of backstory to it it's insane <laughs> Yeah, but but for you, right? This is the separation. It's really high, and a hero is just here. Um, where is the salesman for you? Ah, uh, no, I did like a salesman. Uh, I okay, so it. I I have not seen a separation or a salesman since I saw them in theaters. And mm -hmm. I remember liking them both. There are still things about a separation that I can vividly remember. And that came out mm -hmm. years before. More yeah, than a decade and now. And a salesman, I remember that I really liked it, but I don't remember mm -hmm. a lot of like specific things and specific moments in it, which is, is yeah. strange. So I, I guess that would be like my least favorite of those three, like slightly below a hero. How about the past? <sighs> Great Berenice Bejo performance, a frustrating movie. Okay. Loved it. <laughs> All right, so um, <laughs> All right, so those are the shortlisted ones. Um, were you surprised that a, a hero missed? I I was a little bit surprised. Surprised in that I had, I always thought that Farhadi, that you know he's part of the club, and I thought that his name would sort of carry him through more than some of the other ones that did get nominated. But that movie just had trouble all season getting any sort of traction. So I was I was not completely surprised that it didn't stick the landing. Yeah. Um, so those are the shortlisted ones. For the rest of the submissions, of course, we're not gonna not gonna go through everything. But we have like three titles that you have seen. That um, one is bad luck banging or loony porn from Romania. <laughs> um, quick summary of the oh. film. Um, it is about um, a school teacher who finds her reputation under fire after a personal sex tape gets uploaded to the internet. Why am I happy saying that? Um, so, I heard some <laughs> stuff. What did you think of this film? So, I watched this um, while covering the Berlin, the Berlin All in 2021. And did you go to Berlin? Uh, no, it was all virtual. So, mm -hmm. I was here um watching it in my apartment and it it opens with said sex tape that is the first thing that you see on screen and i was just like uh, okay wow okay um we're, we're doing this mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it is a an incredibly 
interesting movie. It, it was the first. It was the first movie that I had seen that presented life during the pandemic as I had sort of experienced it. Like people were, everyone was wearing masks and, you know, except when they were eating or, or drinking and people were talking about the virus. And there is a moment in the movie, the film is divided into three sections. Um, they have the, you know, the, the sex tape, which is kind of a prologue. Then they have like the first act, which is her walking around um, I think it's Bucharest, um, sort of waiting for this uh, uh, parent-teacher association meeting that will determine whether or not she gets to stay as a teacher. Um, and there is a moment when she goes into a pharmacy and she's like, I, I, I need a Xanax, please. And the pharmacist is like well do you have a prescription and she goes no, i don't need a whole bottle i just need the one pill <laughs> just need one xanax to get me through this day and it's like well i'm sorry i can't give you that but i can i can give you some herbal remedies mm-hmm. nudge nudge wink wink uh, oh <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> i was like oh my god i have never felt so seen <laughs> Like that was exact. Like if that was not 2020 in a nutshell, I don't know what was. Um, but it is the first part of that movie is so strangely paced because like you'll basically just watching her walk around the city, and then the camera will sort of move, and it will like focus on like a plant growing in the middle of the sidewalk, or a billboard for something, or just like random pieces of the city. And then the second part, <laughs> I do not even know how to describe it. It, <laughs> it basically runs through a whole bunch of words or phrases and defines them and has movie footage footage playing behind it that is sometimes directly related to the thing it's talking about and sometimes not and sometimes related in sort of like an allegorical way or satirical way and it i have not seen anything like it and i it goes on for way too long and then the third part of the movie is finally the the pta meeting where everything just goes completely haywire and it it, that section i do think is a brilliant satire um uh, the the lead actress is spectacular in in that scene, and you can really feel um, uh, Jade's Jadu. I forget his, or I don't know how to pronounce his name, um, but you can you you can feel his 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 anger and um, frustration with the state of things in his country. You can really feel it. So I can see why it won the, the Golden Bear at the Berlin All, but also I, I do think the movie is really sort of uneven. and It doesn't quite work, but it's so singular. I have not seen anything like it remotely. Um, it's one of those movies where I'm glad I've seen it that I would not necessarily want to see mm-hmm. it again. <laughs> yeah, I I do want to watch it by myself. 
Yes, absolutely. Not with Penley. No, no. Um, no. <laughs> but Not it sounds all. like pandemic to me. You know, masks and sex tapes. Um, it's yeah. very, very pandemic. <laughs> How about Memoria from Colombia, directed by Thai director Apichapong Versatakul? Um, um, I, I, I'm just going to read you a summary. I, I don't. Please take charge. Uh, a Scottish woman, after hearing a loud bang at daybreak, begins experiencing a mysterious sensory syndrome while traversing the jungles of Colombia. Stars Oscar winner Tilda Swinton. Cinema. <laughs> this is the first film that I saw at TIFF in 2021. And it it's always the first film of the festival is always tough, I think. Um, you know, because it's usually early in the morning, and you're on site. I, I was okay. Yeah, I, I was in Toronto for that, and I, I was very nervous about having a piece of slow cinema being the first film of the festival, like the, the first one that I was had to see. I was completely riveted the whole way through. And the mostly because of just like Tilda Swinton, I brilliant casting choice on the part of Ty Joe. Um, and she is just so fascinating to watch that it really sort of helped the film through uh, another, through the parts where it did sort of go a little where it got very slow cinema but then the last sequence it it is just her face and a whole a whole story of sound on the soundtrack for for me it just completely redefined what cinema can do. Like it expanded my brain. I levitated from my body. It, it was complete out of body experience. Like I've never seen anything quite like this. Anything that has affected me in this way. Like I, this is why I love cinema moment. It, it, it knocked me on my ass and I absolutely love that movie. <laughs> Something fierce. I was seeing your tweets and like, oh my gosh, she's in a trip right now. Wow. <laughs> but really? In a way, yeah. I'm really? also kind of glad I... Because I... I, I to, for the record, I, I did try to watch A Hero and Memoria. Um, sorry. Uh, but... Um, I think I made the right call to not okay. watch Memoria because I think you need to kind of like drive my car, settle in. Yes, you do need to sort of be in the right yeah. headspace, I think, to watch it. it. It More so than drive my mm -hmm. car, there is more of a, a forward momentum to this movie because there is the sort of she it's about this mystery about her trying to find this sound or find the source of this sound and that 
where what it does with that and where it goes from there is is really interesting and that's the real meat of the movie but even through all that you still have this narrative spine to guide you through um which i think is sort of the thing that made me um more engaged in it than i am with most slow cinema stuff yeah well um i i think after may 9 and i would be who knows maybe not um <laughs> well please when you do watch it please tell yes, me what you I, think i would i would um ooh, from france titan um <laughs> how to summarize this a woman who has a titanium plate <laughs> fitted in her head embarks on a bizarre journey involving her fetish for cars this one I've seen, so I want to hear your take for it because, because you once of the I think, I think your reaction to it is like, okay, this is something. Dan's going wild with this film. What is happening? <laughs> My, I saw this movie at the press screening at the New York Film Festival, uh, with several friends uh, with. Matt Neglia and Tom O'Brien from Next Best Picture and also with Kevin Lee who's another uh, uh, Twitter buddy and it was a packed theater when when the end credits started rolling I I I did not have control over myself I I I rose up (laughs) from my seat and started pacing back and forth (laughs) saying what the fuck (laughs) over and over just i i i could not believe in that moment what julia ducourneau was able to do with this movie the and, and i've since seen it um another like I think another three times wow. since then. I I I am obsessed with this movie. I am fascinated by this movie. I and I have shared it with people who I know would appreciate it because I even having seen it, I'm still I'm still always blindsided by the second half of this movie and that the the tenderness that forms between these two broken perhaps irreparably broken people and i see something new in it every time some new layer to it i i don't think i've seen anything that has any any film that has put across to me so strongly what I imagine the like the feeling of gender fluidity or gender dysphoria or you are you are you are something different inside than what you are outside and it's presented in such a unique way and such thrilling way and it was something that i didn't 
I, I still don't have quite have words how to express. I just know that when I saw it, I gained some deeper understanding of something completely outside my experience. And judging from all that I had heard from Can about the car fucking and the violence, I, I was not expecting any of that. And also, like, I was also to be fair, not expecting when they said, you know, it's about a woman who fucks a car. I was not expecting her to literally yeah. fuck <laughs> a car. <laughs> and I just like, Julia Ducourneau's brain, I, I don't know how she comes up with these things. In a million years, I could never come up with the sentence, a woman tries to abort her car baby using a metal knitting needle that she usually uses as either a hairpin or a murder weapon like i could never come up with that scenario in a million years and yet there it is. Uh, i i <laughs> what an experience watching this movie is. It is, and um, I I intentionally did not watch. I did not read anything. Yeah, same. Did not watch any trailer or teasers. Waited for it to drop in digital. No reviews. I just know that I just know the the, the shots when you know the, the 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 publicity stills when he's she's dancing around a car like that's the only thing I know about this film. And I uh, said a kid <laughs> with a metal. I'm like, those are the yeah. only things that I know about this film. And um, I was preparing for something wild. And it was. Um, the first the half first is, half, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and um, I thought I'm going to be cool and um, watch it with my mom. And, um, she, you know, for an extended take, she was humping the car. I'm like, she's performing. It's a car show. And then when she stabbed the guy in the ear, like, yep, he's being followed. But when the car sex scene happened, I could not even explain it anymore. And um, I, I've said this already. And um, I, I told my mom, asking me, like, who is she fucking in the car? The, the car. I mean, who? <laughs> the car. No one. She's fucking the car. car. And like, how is it possible? Don't make me explain it to you. Because it is. But don't. It's a movie. Yeah. But you know, and then she got pregnant, and oh, this is for real. This is not an. This is not like a dream. Yeah. And she's leaking with oil, and um, the. Oh, that's that's spoilers. Sorry, but um. But like, oh my god. But there's nothing to spoil this film. But what I really love this film is that at its core, it's it's like drive by car. Two people are kind of struggling to connect, but they have, they need to, but they can't. Mm -hmm. It started one yeah. way, but um, it, it 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 hit me hard because on he ha she had to go through the first part to under for us to understand how difficult it is in the second part, and uh, um, it's it's unlike anything I've ever seen. She, Julia De yeah. should be um in the watch list. Her her brain is scary. Um, after this, I really I've seen raw uh, raw raw. I've seen raw. I'm like, 
I'm scared of her. I, I don't know. I don't. I like. I'm. I'm. All, I'm excited, but also not looking forward to her next film because, like, what is the body problem we're gonna have this time? Are we gonna be cannibals or fucking with cars? This is. But anyway, the vision is stunning, and uh, yeah. it's a. Uh, I still understand. Like, for example, I mean, I, I haven't seen a lot of the films nominated and. Screen that can last year, but like you know, when you it, it feels right that the film that bold that takes a huge swing and that even France took a huge swing didn't pay off in terms of the Oscars. But gosh, I mean, you gotta respect like I was not expecting in a million years for France to select to Todd to submit yeah. to the Oscars, and but. They did, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And Neon has it. Like, could this actually happen? Yeah. And no, of, of course it didn't. The Academy is not that cool. <laughs> yeah, it didn't happen, but uh, it's worth but the like, fight. Oh, it was worth. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and this year, like you know, outside of the other submissions, like this is a rich year. Like, for example, in terms of France. Um, they had other options. They had um, Benedetta is from France or no? I think it's from uh, Netherlands. B- Benedetta, it, it is in France. It, it, it's in French. Takes place in Italy. Directed by Paul Verhoeven, who is from Netherlands. From the Netherlands. So, like, I think the, Europe. Let's go. European. Europe. Uh, the, and Verhoeven, like, I guess it could have been either France or the Netherlands, I guess, who did it. I personally, that was, Benedetta was my second favorite film last year. I thought it was so ridiculously entertaining and surprisingly hilarious. And Charlotte Rampling is great. And Virginie Efira is stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, I w- Seeing that with a crowd at the New York Film Festival was one of my favorite experiences in a theater last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I have very limited Paul Verhoeven uh, exposure. Um, yeah. Turkish Delight uh, from '73, and then uh, I think after that, L <laughs> in 2016. Um, I had to endure Turkish Delight because I saw that with my mom, and there was an erect penis in there. I'm like, um... <laughs> yeah, and then of course L, but um, from Netherlands, like I said, Ninja Baby. I'm. I only know the title. I don't know what it's about. Uh, so this this is a, another one that I saw at the Berlinale that I absolutely loved. It's basically like an American sort of like indie, like almost Juno-esque, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, from the Netherlands. It's about a young woman who is sort of like having a protracted adolescence um, yeah. into her 20s and she's not quite sure what she wants to do with her life and ends up getting pregnant wow and um, one of the things that she does is she um, she's a cartoonist and she draws um, you know cartoons and graphic novel things and so she draw she calls the baby uh, a ninja baby because she did not realize she was pregnant until very late in the pregnancy didn't even re- she wasn't showing she didn't realize yeah. that you know the morning sickness or anything um so very late so she called it a stupid ninja baby and then actually she draws a 
baby with like a ninja mm-hmm. mask on it and it sort of it, it doesn't come to life but it sort of like becomes like the inner monologue of this baby that sort of follows her around and it is it's very funny and very heartfelt and the characters are so well drawn i really enjoyed it it is the type of thing that like if it was an american movie and played premiered at like sundance or south by southwest it would become a cult favorite um but because it's a foreign movie it is relegated to like be stuck in the in the bowels of the netflix algorithm for years and years is it already a, <laughs> it was already available on in the united states um I believe it is, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I'm, I'm a check. Um, um, yeah. But yeah, a delightful movie. Not at all the type of movie that generally gets submitted to the Oscars. <laughs> but I do I mean, recommend anyone to seek it out. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I was, it was one of those things where it was at the, it was at the Berlin Island. and it was virtual and no one really knew what, what to watch when mm-hmm. and so i sort of went on to letterboxd and was looking at what other movies that were available that day for me to see that people had rated very highly and this one was one of the higher rated ones and so i said okay i'll i'll put that on and lo and behold the the ratings were correct and good movie <laughs> Next one, Marcus returns home to care for his daughter when his wife dies in a tragic train accident. However, when a survivor of the wreck surfaces and claims foul play, Marcus suspects his wife and was murdered and embarks on a mission to find those responsible. From Denmark, this is Writers of Justice. Mad. He just starred in the previous Oscar winner, Another Round. How about this one? Yeah, should have gotten an Oscar nomination for another round too. Um, I this movie was a complete surprise to me. You hear that um, that plot and you, you see the trailers and the poster, which is just Mads with this giant beard and sort of hulking and looking very manly Mads, and it is not at all the movie you expect from that. It is really a black comedy and so funny i i was shocked at how funny it was and enjoyable and mads gives a it's a typically great <laughs> performance as this man trying to like you know submerge his grief by taking action um the way it takes what could be a very standard plot and just comes at it from like just ever so slightly askew point of view is just it's really it's really great one of my favorite surprises from last year what's your favorite Mads Mikkelsen's performance am I allowed to say the television series Hannibal okay, okay. <laughs> I think for me it's The Hunt everyone says The Hunt he is very good in The Hunt I have a lot of problems with that movie and just a foundational I mean, yes. level but he, <laughs> yes. he, he is he is very very good in that movie yeah um oh 
A filmmaker in his mid-forties arrives in a remote village at the far end of the desert to present one of his films. There he meets an officer for the Ministry of Culture and finds himself fighting for his freedoms in his mother's life. From Israel, Ahed Sni, directed by Nadav Lapid, who did Synonyms. Mm-hmm. Mm. Ahed Sni. Oh, boy. This one is really, really... it. The humongous, solid brass balls on Nadav Lapid to make this movie. It, it is directly about government censorship of films and what he sees as a problem that is happening not just in Israel but elsewhere in the world and he just tackles it head on and Avshalom Pollock who plays the lead who is basically a Nadav Lapid stand-in it, he the movie it, it was a bit frustrating for like the first three quarters like two-thirds to three-quarters of it but then at a certain point he gets this screed of a monologue that is one of the most riveting things i've seen absolutely incredible the he it's incredible performance and i appreciate so much that he had the the balls to say that on film and put it out there to the world it it's great great stuff i don't think the movie on a whole is great but that one particular scene wow 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 mm-hmm. oh we have this one oh in 1963 a student has a bright future ahead of her but her dreams of finishing her studies is shattered when she becomes pregnant as her final exams approach, she decides to take matter in her own hands. From France, happening. Which I have not seen, and I hate not myself yet. for not having seen it. No, yeah. I have heard such good things about it. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there's also the third film, Back Nord. But I think it came down to this and uh, Titan for it, the submission. Yeah, and I think that after... Um, it, it won the prize at Venice. A lot of people were thinking that happening was going to be the, the decision, the their submission, and I do think a lot about if, if it if it if it would have gone differently if they had. I don't know if it would have or not, but part of me really wants to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they should like disqualify it and then submit it next year. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, oh, but it's just recently released, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the United States. Yeah. So it would, I, I think it was one of the situations where since it wasn't not, since it wasn't submitted last year, it could be up for any of the regular Oscars this year. Cause it was, that was when it was released. Yeah. Oh, this one. An eight-year-old girl has just lost her beloved grandmother and is helping her parents clean out her mother's childhood home. One day, her mom abruptly leaves and she meets a girl her age and is building a treehouse in the woods. Also from France, Petite Maman, directed by Céline Siama. Your heart, what is happening? I love this movie. <laughs> so much. 
it's it, it's so lovely and it, it's incredible it's incredibly short i think it's only like 75 or 80 minutes long or something um but it's beautiful beautiful movie beautiful story um Celine Siama, I love you. I love you, Clermathon. I love you. It, yeah, it just is wonderful, simple little story, little bit of allegory, and little bit of magical realism. And it, I get the warm fuzzies about <laughs> it. <laughs> oh. I mean, I intentionally weren't saying the titles now before I have to describe it. I want to see your like, where is this going? <laughs> but um, yeah, this was eligible last year, right? Um, At the Oscars, regular Oscars. I, I believe that France could have submitted it last year um, yeah, based on their but... own internal rules, but it was not actually released in cinemas here in the U.S. until this year. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, okay. I guess like I'm just recently. These distributors, <laughs> like yeah, because these distributors are doing like qualifying yeah. hidden one week yeah. things. I'm like, what eligible? What? But you know, <laughs> but we have one more film here to bring this home. Three women deal with the problems of modern relationships in different situations. A young woman's friend falls in love with her ex. While a bitter student asks his lover to trap his professor, lastly, two old friends meet again after 20 years. From Japan, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, also directed by Ryusuke Hamaguchi. Yes, the first Ryusuke Hamaguchi film that I saw. I saw it at, at the Berlin Mall. Um, it, it is very much a, a, a triptych movie. It's three short films stitched together into one. They each have something to recommend them, and it, it does have. You can see, like watching that, and then seeing Drive My Car. I could definitely see that they were made by the same person. There is, there is a sort of elegance to how things are staged, and a certain um, quality in the writing that definitely carries over from one to the other. Although it's much more uh, refined and better executed, I think, in Drive My Car. Um, but especially the third section of Wheel and Fortune and Fantasy is really beautiful. And that that particular piece for me is the real connecting link where I can see that, yeah, that is the same filmmaker that made Drive My Car. And I saw the seeds of that <laughs> earlier that year in this other movie. Um, I do not like the other two sections of that movie as much as I like the third one. Um, because then I actually don't really know that I can put my finger on why there is something I think special that happens between the two actresses in that section and something about this, the, that story is a little more ambiguous than the other two as to what is happening and who these people are that, um, had me more intrigued than, than me wanting to go along with it a, a little, a little more than the other than the other two um you know so it's typical triptych you know some parts are better than others um and if you don't vibe with one of the stories you just kind of kind of have to grit your teeth through it until you get to the other one yeah um but it, it it's really interesting especially 
having seen Drive My Car to go back and watch that. See if you can spot the through lines and see the other film that won him the major festival screenplay prize. And I think this is available now on Mubi, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, hello, Mubi. Maybe if you want to sponsor my podcast. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so to bring this home, I intentionally left that film last. Going back to Drive My Car. It is the most recent winner of this category until next year, of course. It when um, do we already have front runners? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> do I have, like, I, we're gonna we're gonna have to see. Um, we gotta think another Park Chan Wook film, another Kurokazu Kornida film that are you know happening at. Con this year, another two Claire Denis films potentially this year. Um, uh, that so woman is worth that. Woman. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but um, <laughs> as it stands, the current um holder of this category, do you think Drive My Car is a deserving winner of this category? I do. It it would not have been my pick. I would have proudly voted for worst person in the world instead but i it is still a for me in probably the upper tier of winners in this in this category over the years yeah and i i feel the same way um even if i said i respect it more than i love it i I think it's a rich film that deserves to be celebrated Uh, unlike i mean it's it's kind of it feels kind of an anomaly sometimes in what films usually get in this category or get gets into the Oscars, but I'm so glad that this happened. Um, you already kind of mentioned your number one, um, but um, I what's your number five? Was it not obvious? <laughs> I want to confirm. I don't want to. <laughs> My number five in this category was the hand of God. My number five was also the hand of God. What's your number four? Uh, Lunana, a yak in the classroom. My number four is Lunana, a yak in the classroom. What's your number three? These two do a little... Don't explain. These two, the number three and number two, they flip-flop. They flip-flop a Mm. lot. Um, But I... Flee. My number three is drive my car and uh, so i assume your number two is drive my car and number one is the worst person in the world yes my number two is the worst person in the world and my number one is flea but two and three actually i flipped them while we were discussing (laughs) interesting flipped them twice i was thinking of driving my car too but "Mm, mm." yeah but um is there any film shortlisted or... Su- yeah, you do. Um, shortlisted or actually submitted that would you prefer over the worst person in the world? No. Not Memoria? No. Memoria no. would be like a very close second to worst person in the world. What's your number one of the year? My, num- my number one of the I've re- year... I've read it. My number one of the year <laughs> was Nine Days. Oh, yeah. It's an Oda. It's an Oda, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that movie, and 
it was something that I was actually worried would if that I wouldn't quite have the same reaction to it on a second viewing but yeah. I I did watch it a second time and had the exact same I was like the entire second half of that movie just it completely in tears mm-hmm. oh <laughs> goodness beautiful yeah I I look forward to watching more 2021 films I think I'm only at 35 no. <laughs> 35 films for the Ah, so bad but um with that we are now longer than drive my car no. dan thank you so much for joining me in this discussion and this um wonderful uh year in film you know um there has been a lot of things said about this year in film in 2021 as a year in film about the oscars this year but i think one of the things that <laughs> um, one of the things that I, I think I personally still admire is there's such a richness in the submissions this year um, whether or not the final five is representative of that or not but um, in a time where I said a lot of countries and a lot of productions are kind of struggling with making films because of the rate still pandemic is going um, we come up with a rich year in film that we had a front runner very late as opposed to 2020 where September, it was another round and others. So thank you so much for joining me in this wonderful year in film. Thank you so much for having me. I, it was wonderful talking to you, my an absolute pleasure, as always. I know. And <laughs> and um, uh, this is the... Oh, never mind. Uh, can you tell again our listeners where can they find you on the internet? Yes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film can find my writing at next best picture and be on the lookout for the awards watch podcast yes! coming soon to a podcast station near you <laughs> and again at carlos and Hannah, this podcast at advantage brightest podcast is everywhere um yeah by the time this episode is uploaded it's, uh, the elections are over so um i'm back for film stuff Woo-hoo! um ooh, and um this okay yeah again my work with patreon is continuing um this is the final episode because after this we're just gonna do like a quick wrap quick meaning three hours a quick wrap up on what transpired during the last two years so we're kind of um reviewing what happened from parasite to shoe shine back to another round back to drive by car and everything that has happened it's been been a i didn't know that i would finish this podcast and the pandemic is still going but uh we're here and um i am looking forward to the wrap-up episode just to round things up and uh say goodbye say goodbye oh but i'm again i'm wishing you all it's so dramatic shut up kevin said dramatic um again i'm wishing you all (laughs) this is a goodbye for now and uh, together to just break the one inch barrier